Welcome back to Cooper Duper Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I am Mikey Greif. Oh, full named it, huh? Yeah, well, full name but nickname. <laughs> okay, before we started recording this, so we're recording this in the same night that we recorded the last episode because if you weren't here last week, we, and by we I mean Mikey, did think the last episode is the one where we found out who killed Laura Palmer. I just got ahead of myself. I yeah. was just so excited. Um, and so we decided that we're just gonna, you know, we'd already is so goddamn oh, good. Oh, it's so fucking good and scary. It's absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Um, I think I would say, would you say that this episode or the one where Bob crawls over the chairs ruined your childhood more? Um, this the- episode ruined my childhood. <laughs> the actual image we haven't seen yet. Oh, the The, the one where I couldn't sleep on yes. my left side for years. Yeah. That image is yet to come. Okay. Okay, good. Um, all right. So this is um, season two, episode seven. We have like the powerhouse. We have Mark Frost wrote this. David Lynch directed it. They are not fucking around with this episode. It's, it's, and it's so... They had to. If, if you reveal who killed Laura Palmer, the mystery that's, you know enthralled a fucking country mm-hmm. for a, a year at this point if you gave that d- episode to somebody else right you failed oh <laughs> like for sure yeah um, and it's it's just it there's a lot of things you can't put your finger on that as soon as you start watching you're like it yep the lynch episodes are so much better I don't know what it is. And I like think- some things, yeah, you can definitely, oh, the lighting and the way he shot this and he chose different angles. He used these specific things that I love. But there's a lot of moments that you're just like, I don't know what you did, but I'm enjoying James in this. Or yeah. I'm enjoying Donna. Or like these things that you just can't put your finger on that I enjoy this. Also, the characters he likes to get involved and bring back out are the best characters. Well, that's what I was going to say is that I think he, I think David Lynch has a real affection for certain characters Mm -hmm. and that pulls through. We don't see Sarah Palmer enough in this show. We don't see the log lady enough in this show. We don't see uh, Norma. Yeah, Norma. Oh, Norma. I mean, she's in one scene in this episode. And am I going to make a note that it's all women who kind of get left behind? Make me your mother. Yeah, she's. I said that wrong, but I want you to be my mother, is what I meant. Tell your mom you said that. It's going to ruin Thanksgiving. That's fine. I'll show her this scene. (laughs) Um, All right, so the subtitle or the alternate title is Lonely Souls. Um, Log Lady Intro? Log Lady Intro. She was not chewing gum or pitch this time, so we think that the last time was the only time she made a choice for last time still don't know what it means maybe it means nothing oh also actually before we jump in what you're saying like lynch obviously is a masterful director especially in this context but like i don't want to leave behind the fact that mark frost wrote this Mm -hmm. so and i i'm obviously not a television writer so i don't understand the collaboration between writers and directors um especially in the 90s i don't know if it's different Mm -hmm. now so i I don't want to take away from the... Fe- I assume like, they wrote a little bit to get... Like, like Lynch likes to go with the moment on set. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things that deviate... I would bet that deviated a little bit from Mark Frost's script that... 
But also, without Mark Frost writing it, you don't have a scene with Sarah Palmer in it. You don't have a scene with Norma in it. Oh, I don't know about that. You don't think? Yeah. I mean, don't you think it's... Ter- I, or, wait, sorry, is your is your assertion that they collaborated and that's how they arrived at using these characters? Or yeah. that... Yeah, mm- yeah. I think, I think a lot of it is based on the finale of this show the season two finale I mean and then what comes back to season three which was Lynch and like but they're also a, an, a, an incredible partnership yes, yes so it's not like no yeah it's not like Mark Frost didn't want these characters and David Lynch did or something like that but they arrived at it together that we haven't seen these people in a in a, in a while mm-hmm. and they're incredible characters mm-hmm. get yeah, them they involved really are. Uh, so we kick off as always with the uh, the Lug Lady intro. Um, again, I don't think I've said it the last couple times. If you're watching this on Netflix or whatever, you won't have seen this. It's, as far as we know, only available on the DVD Blu-ray copies. Um, so it starts as follows: A poem is lovely as a tree. As the night wind blows, the boughs move to and fro. The rustling, the magic rustling that brings on the dark dream. The dream of suffering and pain. Pain for the victim. Pain for the inflictor of pain. A circle of pain. A circle of suffering. Woe to ones who behold the pale horse. Um, pale horse, as we discussed when we were watching it, is in Book of Revelations in the Bible, is the, uh, the one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and signifies death. Um, according to my very light research... We, uh, he, it was a pale rider who was death and was accompanied by Satan on their horse. I don't know if that's interesting or informative, but there it is. <laughs> um, okay. Are you ready to jump in? Oh, was that it? I felt like there was more. I, I didn't realize you were done. I thought you were going to keep going. Oh, you okay. think I was just editorializing halfway through the monologue? Yeah, I, I did. I felt like I remembered that. I just felt like I remembered that. That speech being longer. Uh-uh. So, I just might have spoke slower than me, as most humans do. Um, okay, so we're jumping in. Our first shot is... I don't know why I love this shot so much. And it's just all of our boys lined up mm-hmm. in front of the... Um, in front of the... What is it? The I cannot think of the word. The wind, Like the, oh, like the, the desk, the yeah. front the reception or desk. Or Lucy. Reception, yeah. Um, which we haven't seen Lucy in a couple weeks, so... I'm, She's been off getting an abortion. Yeah. And, oh and, yeah, I, I guess I forget that. And a couple that of it's, weeks is like three days. Yeah, I, I forget that yeah. a lot. Uh, so we see all of our boys, including just lined up, lined up, including give, give you a solid recap mm-hmm. of the one our man Mike, the, mm-hmm. the the iteration of Mike giving his the rooms all occupied by different. Basically, just repeats that thing. Yes, and they all just. Sit back, sip their coffee, and this nothing. This, this demon knows what the fuck is up. The best is out the gate. It's a reminder: nothing happens until we get coffee. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's it's everybody's tuning into this episode, right? Because <clears throat> all audiences nationwide, they all know we're gonna find out who killed Laura Palmer, and nothing's more important. <laughs> nothing is more important, but first. We gotta have our coffee. So you like what, take. When else it's did did Lynch do something like that? Of like something big is coming, but we're good. Oh, oh, I know exactly what it is. Is um the it was the episode after 
Cooper calls Harry and says, oh, I know who killed wait. Yeah. I know who kills Laura killed Laura Palmer. Yes, it can wait. And then the next scene is him sitting at breakfast mm-hmm. talking about like And he orders the whole meal and and who what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this instinct of Lynch's of like fucking take it easy, dude. Yeah. Like you, you will, will get there. You'll get it. You'll know when you're ready to know. Yeah. Um, it's wonderful. And even like even explicitly says it in this of like, oh, and we got this intel from Donna about the diary at Harold's. Did you get the warrant? And he's like, yep, as soon as I finish my coffee. <laughs> like, I'll go check it out. Don't worry. Yeah. But so I'm going to finish my coffee first. I guess I should specify we have like Harry Cooper, um, uh, Andy. Hawk, Andy, Hawk and one Andy. man, Mike. And David Lynch. And uh, Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole. Yeah. Um, so they're all just like lined up. It's just, I don't know why I have like such a, I know why I have a great deal of affection toward these characters. So Every it's really nice to just see them kind of collected. Mm-hmm. And um, like ready to go. Yep. But, but like, like still like we have a promising lead that we want to go check out. And it's all still just so we waited till morning. And it's such like, a a small town, like a country way to live your life of like. Mm-hmm. We're not rushing. We're just doing what we do, and that's how David Lynch works. Mm-hmm. It's all representative of like, who gives the shit how long a scene is? <laughs> like, yeah, I'll tell my story the way I want to tell my story. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, who this box wine is not as good as the uh, pursued by bear wine that we were just enjoying. Pursued by bear, future sponsor of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boxed wine. Not to be confused with Pursued by Wine. <laughs> I do think that I drink enough of Target's boxed wine that they should sponsor. Just they me should. Me yeah. as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so Harry tells the officers that everything is set to go at the Great Northern. Uh, the one-armed man repeats his description of the large house made of wood surrounded by trees. The house is filled with many rooms, each alike, but occupied by different souls night after night. Which... I love a riddle. I and I just like the way I think that one of the things I love about riddles is they're phrased in such a like obviously mm-hmm. uh, like weird way. Like I one of my favorite podcasts is Hey Riddle Riddle and they literally solve riddles and do like improv scenes, but there's just something about the w- purposefully mm-hmm. weird rhythm of a riddle mm-hmm. that's like who are you ta- like you sound like you're talking like a and, witch in the woods and we established at the end of the last episode where oh the great northern it's great northern so it's not like they're just figuring it out <laughs> right. now. like we already know it's just it's just it's basically i feel like a previously on snippet mm-hmm. but david lynch saying the only thing that matters from the previous yeah. episode except is th- this one line of dialogue except for they also did a previously on right right <laughs> but it's just yeah, yeah. Um, what you the only thing you really need to know is this right that's where we're going so Cooper sends Hawk to investigate the pages from the diary found near the train tracks and the diary that Donna told him about so they do follow that lead yeah um, the last episode Donna goes in tells Harry there's a secret with his coffee then he follows the lead <laughs> yes but the last episode Donna tells Harry there's a secret diary and this is where it is and he's like, mm, okay, like you've sent us on some wild goose chases. Well, but, but then it, they also found out that there's pages from a diary that were found up the up the tracks. Correct. So, oh, now all of a sudden that yeah, connects. Yeah, right. But like, I, I appreciate that he was he was skeptical, but ultimately willing to like go. Yeah. With oh them. yeah. Um, 
All right. Gordon is leaving for secret business in Bend, Oregon. Mm-hmm. All right. Mike looks at each hotel guest and employee and says no. Uh, well, first, let's set up. That's the, that's the only thing I thought was a little weird when he says, we're all set up at the, the Great Northern. All the guests are in the lobby. Yep, we're ready to go. Yet, Ben Horn, when they get there, Ben Horn comes storming through the halls like he had no idea going what, what was going on. Which, it seems like he's not an out-of-touch owner of the the great northern right he's there every day all the like he's very hands-on with that business he would have been the person to make the call about whether right. or not you can do right this. so that was the only thing that i thought was a little odd but yeah but it also added to conflict yeah and but i th- i think it would have been better off if they didn't say like we're all set with guests are in the lobby like sure just eliminate that line yeah. you don't need it yeah and then it and then it gives like, it, you know, they just had a warrant to go there for whatever reason and then start just started doing this and then Ben got upset. Right. It seems that seems more justified to me. Yeah. But anyway. Um, but meanwhile, uh, they don't bring it up here, but it's a bunch of sailors who are staying in the Great Northern. Oh, yeah. As we've said, there's always an event of some mm-hmm. kind. There's always a convention or something going on in the Great Northern. Um, and this one is sailors, and for inexplicable reasons, they're uh, all bouncing. Clearly, a racquetball tournament, maybe. That's not a racquetball. Those were, yeah, that might be a handball. I'm not sure. I don't. Whatever, just pink rubber balls. Yeah, that they're just everybody's bouncing them, and it's just constantly the most unsettling, weird percussive score almost to the scene. Yeah, I mean, it and adds... it's just so, just it like. As someone who struggles with anxiety regularly, mm-hmm. it's super anxiety-inducing. Was it triggering? A little bit. A yeah. little bit. It's just so, like, just just stop for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, why is everybody doing that? Yeah. Because it's, it's coming from every speaker in, in a surround sound room. Like, right. Like, it's all over the place. Just just stop it for a minute. What? Oh, my God. It's... Yeah. Right. Um. According to my research, it... They look like a Spalding high bounce ball because they're all that pink color. So, okay, just bouncy balls. I guess high bounce handball. I don't know. Okay, if so it's... a handball. Right. Okay. Um, no, but I completely agree because that's the that sort of persistent noise can be extremely stressful. But but not persistent in a soothing like arbitrarily no, 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 no. consistent. Oh, right. Persistent. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the same way, like, once in a while, Dottie, like, continuously barking, all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just, just shut the fuck up, like, Mm -hmm. you, you, it's so stressful, um, I assume people with human babies have the same feeling, wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna be a great mom. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very maternal. Uh, he, uh, so Mike has a seizure as Ben interrupts them. Um, and and he gra- he's like grabbing at his missing arm. Yes. And he collapses all the way onto the yeah. ground. Which I always think is interesting when somebody like in a movie or whatever has a seizure or something and they're already sitting down and somehow they end like all the way up on like on the ground. Like when you just sort of yeah. <laughs> sink into where you're sitting. That's not funny. Seizures aren't funny. Um, okay. We see a police car with a siren blaring that speeds down the road. Is that the same place that our opening... Welcome to Twin Peaks. Yes, yeah, it's is? the okay. same curve in the road. I assume that's Hawk heading towards right. Um, Harold's. Uh, Harold's home is trashed. 
Uh, Hawk answers, excuse me, Hawk enters after knocking and receiving no answer. Harold's body is dangling from his greenhouse rafters. Great shot. Good Really reveal. good shot. I, you just see him like stomach down. Yeah. Legs you, dangling. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Which means he also has really high ceilings in that greenhouse, but. Or a short noose. Both. Yeah. Two things can be true. Um, yeah, no, I, I find the image of a body dangling to always be very, very mm-hmm. upsetting, which I think rightly so. Oh. <laughs> like the, it's not a hot take from me. <laughs> um, so he, um, he completed suicide. We cut back to the Palmer's house. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're like getting into the thick of it. So, uh, Louis Armstrong, it, there's a record playing. Louis Armstrong introduces Wonderful World. job in my apartment and I just miss having a life of my own it's a yeah it's a weird live version it's like a it, it's got more percussion than we're used to hearing mm-hmm. um it's not a, I think it's a live version I, I you're correct it's a live version but usually the version of wonderful world that we hear very vocal heavy Vocal and string heavy. There's yeah. bit, like just pulling off the There's top like of my head. There's horns in this too, I think. Yeah, I feel like it's mostly strings in the version that I think we're mostly familiar with. Um, and so this, it's a different arrangement. Sure. And I don't know if we would see it as like off-putting if it weren't in the context of we're about to, mm-hmm. like we know shit's about to pop off. But it's, but the best thing about it is you hear it and, it, and it seems just background. It's the song that's playing in the background, but you don't even realize that it's playing in the scene until, like... What's the word for music that characters can hear versus music characters can't hear? It's, like, didactic. Do oh, diegetic? Diegetic. Which one's um, diegetic? I mean, diegetic is not necessarily whether characters can hear it or not. It's Diegetic is just song... Music... Audio, I should say, that's added after the fact. Any sound that emanates from the story world of a film. Diegetic, diegetic sound can include everything from the voices of characters to the sound of objects. So diegetic means the people on screen can... The, the sound is coming from the world of that we're seeing as opposed to like... Am I getting that right? I think it's the other way around. I thought I, I always understood diegetic to be so, music or audio that's added after the fact. Yes. No, uh, okay. Diegetic sound, a sound whose source is visible on the screen or whose source is implied to be present by the action of the film. Voices of characters, sounds made by objects in okay. the story, music represented as coming from instruments in the story and space, non diegetic, 
okay. The sound yeah, actually, source. Now that, now that you said non-diegetic, yeah, that that's right. The yeah. sound, his source is neither visible on the screen nor has been implied to be present in the action. Narrator's commentary, there's, sound effects, and mood music. There's a famous story about, um, I think I may have even told it on this already, where David Lynch was in the woods and uh, for the pilot, and they're trying to film, and he said... Maybe it was firewalking me, but he's he was talking to the DP, and he's like, "I don't want any lights. I want this all to be shot with the light from the flashlights." And he's like, "I can't shoot that. Yes, I I need light, something coming from above." And he's like, "But that's not real. There's no where's that? But you look at that. Where's that?" David Lynch is like, "Where's that light coming from?" He's like, "Where's the song coming from <laughs> that's playing in the background? I need to be able to shoot like yeah. it's just a great little bit." Um, but anyway, this so this sequence, this shot, like it's all one really long shot, and it just pans across mm-hmm. the mantle above the fireplace, and it's all these just pictures Cat. of Laura throughout the oh, years. Yeah. Then it gets across to like the couch. You see Sarah and Leland sitting on the couch, and by the end of it, you're looking at the record player where you're seeing the record that's playing, right, and in between the record and the lid is where you see the three of them sitting on the couch. Gotcha. But it's all just one really slow pan and zoom. It's a really, really beautiful shot. Yeah, and what I... What I like about this, and I'm not sure... I'm not familiar enough with, with Lynch's body of work to comment on it as a whole... But I notice in his episodes, he um, has an extreme amount of patience with his shots. And it just because we just watched it last week or two weeks ago, we watched a Portrait of a Lady on Fire, mm-hmm. which similarly, just every scene just breathed. Like, there mm-hmm. was absolutely no rush. It was long and lingering shots that started to feel voyeuristic. Mm-hmm. And I think Lynch has a similar instinct of like, I'm not going to smash cut into fucking anything. In a similar way, Lynch, by trade, is not a filmmaker. He's a painter. Yeah. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is about a painter. Yeah. So you're getting that same... if you haven't seen that yet. You're getting that same view of like, I want to just resonate Mm -hmm. with this... I want this image to resonate with you, with me. I want to just sit in it Mm -hmm. for a while. He... Yeah. So it's... Some long takes. Sometimes it's just long scenes. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a lot of like heads and tails on a scene that don't need to be there. Like I'm not sure I know what you mean. Like this is the head. What like, we're seeing. Like like the like scene setting? anything early. Like heads and tails of a shot is like if the shot is me saying a line of dialogue. I've got a good ten or twelve seconds before I say that line of dialogue, and a good ten or twelve seconds something afterward. Like stuff that normally just gets cut off because it's unnecessary. Uh-huh. Like, after the scene is over where you sit there, like, lingering on somebody and sure. you're like, why are we still watching that? That kind of but stuff. But you're still kind of sucked yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, Maddie sits with Leland and Sarah and tells them she feels like it's time to go back to her job and apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, it- oh, and it starts... I, it, I mentioned how it pans across the... Um, mantle but it starts on that missoula montana painting oh yes we did not bring that up uh, <laughs> which that mikey painting, has theories which, about <laughs> which is funny it looks that painting is a 
It looks like every painting you saw in somebody's house in the 90s. It's like a moose in a field or some shit. Whatever. Generic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like a kind of a generic painting. But then in letters that are seemingly way too large, in the bottom left corner, it just says Missoula, Montana. Which leads me to believe that they just found a painting. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I needed to say Missoula. I'm just going to write it in there. Because nothing, as somebody who lived near Missoula for a while, nothing about that painting is specifically Missoula. Yeah, but like, there's no, like, like you mentioned, a little plaque on the frame that says Missoula, Montana. It's literally like a child did a painting and then was like, they need to know it's, it's Missoula, And, and it's, it's written large enough that, like, you can read it on camera. It's, it's a little bizarre, but it's, it's, I mean, it obviously is foreshadowing, sure. but... It's, I don't know, it's... Do we tell our Missoula, Montana story now or later? Which Missoula, Montana story? The first time you found out I lived near Missoula, Montana? Um, sure. I mean, or let's talk about when we get to the okay. why I it's, am afraid of it. I might have overhyped that story. It's just more of an anecdote. Yeah. Um. So she tells him it's time Hang to on, go back. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> you don't don't want to turn this bad we, boy off. We have a maybe interesting <laughs> anecdote coming later. Look out. Uh, we call that a teaser in the business. Speaking of which, though, that, that sets up an interesting concept. Does it? You'll notice, like you talked about patience and stuff. This episode, granted you're not watching it with actual commercials. Sure. Because we're oh, watching yeah. it streaming or on disc or whatever and obviously they aren't going to keep the commercials in there but you get to your commercial breaks really frequently in the early 15 minutes there's like three or four commercial breaks in the first like 30 minutes um and then the last i think it's like 19 minutes or something of the episode is straight through no no commercial breaks because real and he does that again in the finale of this season but like David Lynch obviously didn't want anything interrupted. This of course. Is, but that was his conceit to be able to like, I need this last yeah. bit to, I, you can't interrupt what happens at the end of this episode. Right. I need that to be played. So there's a bunch of commercials that feels like up front. Mm-hmm. And they'll end, every commercial break ends on like a, like moment of like, ooh, <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah, and then go to commercial, and yeah. then oh, and then go to commercial or whatever. So, and it's funny. I'm kind of skimming through uh, this this episode, and he really tries to tie up all of his non A plots quick as possible. Like the first half is all. Bobby and Shelly, it's mm-hmm. it's the shit with um what's his face, the flower guy who I don't care about, he's dead now. Um Harold. Uh Big Ed and Nadine. Like he just sort of fret like Big Ed and Nadine get a little bit later. Like he has fun with them. They do, but at the same time, like it's he definitely like you said, front loads the episode with like yeah. we need to check in on these characters, we need to make sure this continues. This is not the story I'm ready to tell this right. episode. It is going also, to be Also, it's a, you know everybody is tuned in to right. find it. You don't want people to tune in and then turn it off. Correct. Okay, so so we go back to um, the Johnson household. Mm-hmm. So Leo is still catatonic, so we're dealing with insurance money issues, which maybe isn't the most 
the, the sexiest subplot. Well, it's, for... and, like, it's honestly, very realistic. This though. is I. This to me feels like a a statement on marriage. I think he's trying to like it, and like it's all fun and games, and then it turns into like arguing about bills, and we can't afford it, and then people are making claims that they can't back up and it's like I know I said that but and then she says you know oh you promise you can be this like oh we can't afford this and he's like whoa what what is this we I can't I can't keep saying I'm sleeping and all of a sudden he's just like bailing out of it like I think this is just like him fast forwarding to like a statement on what marriage is because for him that's what it's been like he's that's where he's been in his sure like when, when shit when shit gets hard yeah I just want to keep so, doing this thing and that's so funny because I kind of wrote it as the opposite of okay wait let me read this paragraph about the thing and we can we can also just... notice the thing I, I love is that I noticed the first time ever watching this scene is there's deflated balloons on the table yeah from the party they just had the night before or whatever mm-hmm. and now that's just the you know the symbolism of oh now we've got it's a deflated a literal balloon. deflated yeah, balloon <laughs> exactly it's great uh, so Bobby Shelley and Leo uh, Leo who's more or less catatonic sit at a table going over the bills after all the payments are made they have forty dollar forty two dollars left over from Leo's insurance well we have bills here that total one thousand and fourteen dollars including insurance money that leaves you with. That's a good start. $42 for the month? How am I going to make it? How are we supposed to survive on $42 a month? We... Shelly, I can't keep telling my mom and dad that I'm spending the night at Mike's. What, What time is it? I'm missing economics as it is. We met me and Leo. Bobby, you said you're going to take care of us. I am, Shelly. I am. Shelly tells Bobby to take the necklace back. I don't remember. He gave her a necklace, I presume? Or... Yeah. I don't remember that. Um, take the necklace back because they need the money. Um, the police have seized the truck, so they can't sell sell that. Uh, Leo makes a noise. Shelly and Bobby scream, which was a good jump scare. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo says, new shoes. Bobby sends Shelly to find a receipt for a pair of Leo's shoes that she took to get cleaned. So... <laughs> it's so interesting that we have kind of like the opposite reading of this because understand that all of everything I'm about to say is understanding that like Leo is an abusive shit heel, right? So mm-hmm. like take all of that. So when she says, we said we were going to do this and he's like, what, what, what? I'm missing, like I'm missing algebra right now or whatever he says. And she goes, no, when I said we, I meant me and Leo, which to me felt more of a statement of like, and I do not want to, like, I, I want to backpedal so hard. Like, I don't want to encourage anybody to stay with an abusive partner. But there is something about her being like, no, 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 no. This is supposed to be my partner. So when I talk about we, I am talking about, uh, like, me and the <laughs> man I married. You are an 18-year-old high school senior. But, like, you're not, no matter what happens, I am tethered to this person. For better or for worse. And it's been mostly for worse. And so to me, the way she sort of says to Bobby, like, no, you're not we. This is we. To me, 
is more of a statement of not even pro-marriage, but just like the reality of Hmm. when you're married to somebody, the decisions are we. Yeah. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Yeah. I mean, but like all of it, like it's a very just complicated scenario and it's, and it all is, is revolving around Shelly with putting her walls up. Yes. And she's protecting herself. In the only ways she can. Because Which is fair. Now she has to potentially protect herself from Bobby, who she didn't have to protect herself from before because he doesn't seem to care. Well, and it's so, so fair because, like, it's all well and good to be fucking around with, like, you know, a guy around your age or a little bit younger when there's really nothing on the line. I mean, yes, like, she could get busted, but, like, they don't have responsibilities mm-hmm. together. And mm-hmm. I think that's also part of why, like... But extramarital affairs happen that's, because... And that's the statement. That's what I was talking about when I said the marriage. I wasn't talking about her marriage with Leo. I, no, I, yeah, I understood okay. what you meant. Gotcha. But I'm just saying, like, I, I think there is a reason that extramarital affairs are... happen a lot in the real world yeah. and also are an interesting plot line in a lot of shows because, you know, you and I, we've been married for, God, five years coming up. Yeah. Congratulations, babe. Yeah. Um, and, like, we have a great relationship I think but it's also our relationship is about bills and making decisions about our stupid dog and all that shit and that's I think all of that is involved I think all of that is in this scene and I think this is Frost Lynch showing you that like any serious relationship fucking sucks sometimes of course and that's what they're trying to say is that like these two have been a beacon of Good love. Mm-hmm. The entire it's puppy show. love, right? Yeah. And it, it, as soon as you make an effort and do anything that commits you, like they didn't get married. Yeah. But they. They did commit it. Com- made yeah. a commitment to this. Scheme. Scheme. Yeah. Good word. Um, And now. Shit. Yeah. As soon as we hit our first roadblock. Fuck this. this yeah. This fucking sucks. And I don't know. Well, it's not my fault. <laughs> Well, I'm not involved. I've got. I still have an out, and poor Shelly's screwed. Yeah. And now what? Yeah. And it just it's it's saying that nothing. Like I think it's just a statement of relationships are bad and they stifle freedom. Do you think that? No, I think David Lynch <laughs> thinks that. Yeah i I think that's why I when we talked a couple episodes yeah, that's ago. That's why he's been married like five times. Right. Like, that's what when we talked a couple episodes ago about like it's weird to me that he has a kid because that seems like a very a, few, yeah. a pedestrian thing yeah. for him to have done. But also I, I and it's funny because I all of a sudden am right now finding myself defending the relationship with Leo and Shelley, which I am that's not my my brand generally. I but don't think like, you're defending it. I think you're just reasoning her reaction. Yes, I think so too. I've been like this last year or so, I've been working a lot on like getting away from black and white thinking and mm-hmm. getting into like being more comfortable with the shades of gray. Mm-hmm. And I think this sort of love triangle they have going on is really an interesting sort of exercise in that because like Shelly's happier with Bobby. Then she's with Leo because Leo's a shit, an mm-hmm. abusive asshole. But also, her relationship with Bobby was making out in the car mm-hmm. and like fucking around behind Leo's back, and that's exciting and fun and sexy. And then, as soon and as shit 
gets real. And not only that, not only gets real, but like it was sneaking around behind Leo's back and now they're literally in front of him. Yeah. Making out and doing it on the table. Yeah. While he's maybe watching. Yeah. Or not. Is is this isn't fun anymore. Yeah, and I think the excitement was the fact that it was it was like her Of course. Like her fling with Bobby is just her attempt to get back at Leo. Mm. Like to in in some extent. Like yes, Bobby makes her feel good and stuff, yeah. but she feels empowered because she's doing something for herself. Yes, I think both those things are true. I think And yeah, so and when that goes away, mm-hmm. Also, now it becomes about bills and shit. Yeah, and it it, it kind of reminds me of right now, like we're in week month five of the pandemic, where people are like stuck at home with their significant other, and I think a lot of people's cracks are starting to show because you can't get away for a day or a night or a week or whatever. You have to be in the same house with this person and deal with this bullshit. And weirdly, I feel like our relationship has gotten better because we found weak as we record podcasts <laughs> no not not to say it wasn't good but, but like i feel like we are as strong as we've ever been whereas i feel like a lot of people who sort of have a more fun life than we do because they have more money than we do sure all of a sudden are stuck in the house with their significant other and like oh i don't just i'm 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 constantly ter- like everyone obviously i'm a proponent of stay home stay safe mm-hmm. wear your mask obviously all that stuff but staying home for people who are in a Shelly Leo-esque relationship, yeah. that's not good. But I don't think it's even that. I'm not but even saying just, like abusive relationships. Right. I'm just saying like it's really easy to be married to somebody if you only have to spend like one or two nights together a week yeah. and you both have these big yeah, separate but lives. But all of it, that's what I'm saying. Like all of it is so you can't just say. Like everything is so nuanced. Yes. Every Every scenario is different. Yeah. Every situation is calls for something else you know right huh, okay back to Twin Peaks um, yeah I, I mean <laughs> who'd have thought this is the scene we run off on 20 minutes on or whatever yeah no kidding we're already but, but great like I like that's what I mean is that I mean I have you on recording saying that you think we have a good relationship so <laughs> um, I mean that's like no there's so many good like there's so many Shelly Bobby Leo sequences and stuff but like until David Lynch directs that episode, mm-hmm. you don't really get into it. I don't know. There's there's things that he can bring out that in this – like I just keep imagining what the first two seasons would be like if he directed every episode. I You said that while we were watching this, and I kind of brushed you off, which was rude, and I'm sorry, and I love you. But like now that we've had this conversation, like you're – because my what I my retort because I have to win my retort was well we saw what would happen because he directed every episode of mm-hmm. of uh, the third season yeah but as you said he was in a different he's state a, and a it's different, a different audience yeah, and it's, it's a different all very different a different goal yeah. like writing for Showtime with no censorship no time limitations is different from writing for sure. like ABC or what the fuck ever um, but yeah like I. Well, and I think a part of it, too, even is as simple as an actor on set for any given episode or scene or whatever has a 
simple question about my character. They look at the director and they say, hey, I say this. Do I mean this in this way? Or why am I saying this? What am I trying to get out of this person? Or whatever the, the scenario is for an actor. David Lynch created these characters. Mm-hmm. He knows about them. He knows their history. He, in his mind, has every one of these characters is like real people to him. Mm-hmm. He can answer every one of those questions in, a, in, in the way that matches what we loved about the pilot. I think if you get in another director, they'll just be like, I think you're trying to do this. Yeah. And then can I ask a it's not the question. same. Who do you think, and the best word I can think of is owns, but it's not necessarily one I want. Who owns these characters? Like, where's the heart of these characters? Are they with David Lynch or are they with people who have been playing them for a year and a half? And I think, I, I don't think this is a Twin Peaks question. I think this tends to be a, an oh, overall TV. Owns is a hard. Like, who, when, okay. If, descriptor. If David Lynch and. Laura from Boyle or or um, Ray Wise mm-hmm. disagreed with how their character would react to something. Say, mm-hmm. and this is not a right or wrong question. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Like, do you think the actor who has played this character week week after week, month after month, year after year, has lived in this character mm-hmm. literally? Versus David Lynch, who invented the characters, but only drops in once every few episodes to direct and mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, write mm-hmm. the ship, make sure it's going in the right direction. Who do you think has a better insight? It's, it's, int- uh, to me, the director is always good. I mean, and this yeah. is the same with the movie. Director always wins out. Because what's being put out is the director's vision. And if he doesn't like what you're doing, it's cut. And He's also got the director has longevity. Control. She's got that control, whoever the director might be. But I, ideally, ideally in an ideal state, which is why I think it works in season three, I think movies work really well for the... And that's the reason I think for the most part I don't get into TV mm-hmm. is because... Th- those yeah, we things talked about that a happen. Yeah. You end up with these disconnects, and I f- I can feel it. But ideally, I feel like I'm doing that like Key and Peele sketch. Ideally, though, <laughs> ideally though, um, ideally though, you have your director and your actors would be on the exact same page, and they share that. Of course, character. and that's and that's what happens in good movies. That's what happens in well thought out good television um but that's what your showrunner in tv is there to facilitate right yeah that's a good point there is a third party that i guess i didn't consider um okay can we get back to politics that's a ideally though i did a hamilton reference you did a Peel reference. Same, We're just same, same, same thing. Basically the same thing. Um, what were we talking? Okay, ooh, okay. We're gonna get into some gnarly territory. Are you ready for it, Michael, my husband? I suppose. Audrey tells Ben she knows about one-eyed Jacks. Period. End of sentence. Daddy, 
know about One-Eyed Jacks. I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. I know about Blackie. I know about Emery Battis. I know about Ronette. And I know about Laura. Okay. I was there. I saw you. You remember Prudence? I wore a little white mask. I need to ask you some questions. Ask away. How long have you owned One-Eyed Jacks? Did you know? Yes. Did you in any way encourage her to work there? No. I had no idea. She asked if she could work in the department store, Battis sent her without my knowing. Did you sleep with her? Did you? Yes. Did you kill her? This scene made me uncomfortable in a way that I know I was supposed to feel uncomfortable. But also, I love the way this scene is shot. Ben is sitting down. Audrey is looming over the top of him. Mm -hmm. For the first time, you see Ben almost always shot. He's a tall man, too. Mm -hmm. You see him low angle. He, you're typically looking up at Ben. Mm-hmm. Ben is a powerful figure in the town. He's always looked at that way. The Earlier in this episode when he's storming down the hall, you're shot at like waist level looking up. His chest looks enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a powerful figure. And for the first time, he's reduced in comparison to Audrey. Sure. And it's awesome. Yeah, Richard Beamer is 6'2". Yeah, and has... Shoulder, the sh- his shoulders are probably like six four, <laughs> like yeah. wide. He's, he's a broad boy. He's got, yeah, very wide shoulder and big old shoulder pads on his double breasted suits. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't hurt either. Only accentuates that. But but yeah, he looks small, and he's never he never she's she's staring him dead in the face, and he keeps like he's like, being he, meek for the yeah, first time. Yeah, he's meek and looking away and he's fucking embarrassed. Yeah, and he should be. Yeah. But this is the first time like so I think this is such a a cool uh, resolution for in my, I mean obviously I'm thinking about in 2020 terms of like men, rich 
white men who can do whatever the fuck mm-hmm. they want and answer to nothing mm-hmm. until you have an 18-year-old daughter. I have a daughter, so I get it. Oh, so you get it. You've, That's the fucking you cop ha- out of fucking everything Can nowadays. you imagine? Drives me nuts. Mikey, if we had a daughter... And you were like, I have a daughter now. I understand women. And I was like, I've been married to you this whole time. Did you not hear me? That shit drives me Men are nightmares. Um, But but, but, there is so little consequences. So few consequences. Excuse me. My grammar is slipping. I've had too much wine. Uh, So few consequences for, for men who engage in this garbage. And realistically, the cops... I mean, it's in Canada and he's an American, whatever. So like... It's a tricky law thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, even if he got caught doing it, I'm sure the cops would look the other way because he's, you know, a pillar of the community. And that's just the one-eyed jack stuff that's that you're talking correct. about that potentially Interpol would have to get involved. But, like, but you have to look cooking at, books with his own fucking yes. investments. Like, everything. But is, then it goes to you have to look your teenage daughter dead in the eye after and, and, and without own. saying both of you know, you almost tried to fuck your daughter. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Um, but it's it, like there are so few consequences to people unless it like comes home to roost like that. And and it always it's not even like it has to be very very directly related. Like it's not even like oh okay I finally know someone who was affected by this. So it started to open my eyes. It has to be this exact awful scenario has to happen to me exactly. Mm-hmm. It's garbage. Oh, it's trash. But it, it's a lack of empathy, and that's you right. can listen to my friendly at these podcasts if you want me to hear about the lack of empathy of white men. Ugh. But but yeah, I, it, it's such a uh, comeuppance, I guess, in the most important way of like, no, 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 it doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. If you think you're skating by the lawn, maybe you are, and maybe you're legally not doing anything wrong, but you want to look your fucking daughter in the eye and tell her that you fucked her best friend, not her best friend, mm-hmm. fucked her schoolmate, That's you have to live with that now, and you have to know that she knows that. And, yeah, and just look at, look at the difference in this episode to last episode where he's towering over her while she's laying in the cot, and she's can barely fucking speak mm-hmm. and he's like it's gonna be fine I got this shit also can we talk about and how then quickly she, she got off of heroin yeah she's super strong 12, did you see, 12 hours did you see the low angle she's super strong <laughs> so you can yeah yeah I that's yeah. we're not gonna get into how quickly people yeah. can kick heroin yeah but, um, yeah but it's yeah I this is a great a great scene and only becomes more and more poignant. What is Prudence in the white mask? Oh, that's her... That, with her cat mask? Yes, like when, okay. When he tried to... Yes, okay. So she reminds him about Prudence in the white mask. Though Prudence, what I didn't know it was Prudence, her like quote-unquote character name. I guess so. I don't I, remember I them don't... changing because she wanted... She was Hester Prynne. Hester Prynne, yeah. Uh, anyway, so she wore the white mask. So she told him like, hey, yeah. remember when you tried to... Fuck yeah. your daughter. Yeah. Feel bad about that forever. Like, and it, it, but it puts a face, what's, what it does is puts this face on every new girl, quote unquote, that he, because he gets the first run at the new girls. They talk about that. Somehow he which, like endorses Prima Nocta in his and, brothel, which yeah. is impressive. And now, 
this puts a face on like, oh shit, these new girls are people exactly like my daughter. And it's it's awful and disgusting that it takes that, but this is the thing that finally makes him open his eyes. I mean, it is the... To some extent. Yes, 100%. And it... To, I can draw a direct line from this to... And this is no longer, like, a current thing that's happening, but to say, like, a senator in 2009 who was anti-gay marriage until his son came out. Mm-hmm. And then, oh my God, did you know that gay people are mm-hmm. humans? Like, it's the, it is it is these people with a lack of empathy and no empathy required in their life that unless something happens to them mm-hmm. personally, it doesn't fucking matter. It's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, it's, but it's, but all of that is there. It's not even... It's, this isn't even a lens that we're putting on this. Mm-mm. This is all there. And like there's this layer of subtext in particularly in David Lynch episodes that are like six layers deep. Mm-hmm. There's so much subtext in every single scene, which allows us to like and this is a three minute scene. Mm-hmm. You, it was a one sentence in your in your little recap thing. Yep. And we've been talking about it for how long now? Because so much is is in there yeah. that's not on the page. And it makes me... So I know... I follow Mark Frost on, on Twitter, and I know he's like bleeding heart lefty like we are. Mm-hmm. I presume David Lynch is in the same universe. David Lynch doesn't talk about it. it it's nice for him. It, it comes out when it's hit that... Like, did you ever read that letter he wrote to Trump that Ooh, was about I think like, I did but I because somebody he said something and somebody took out of context this was early in the Trump yes, presidency yes 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 I is, do remember this but this go ahead. is like this is mid early, early 2017, 2017 something like that where he said something about this Trump has the potential to be the best president of all time and his point was because he was twenty eighteen is reaching a different audience two years ago. And if he if he chose to present the right message, it would reach a lot of different people. I mm-hmm. think is what he was getting at, something along those lines. And all people latched on to was he could be the best president of all time. And put that out everywhere. And then Trump fucking retweeted it or some shit. And David Lynch, who normally doesn't respond to fucking anything, mm-hmm. felt it important to write a letter in response to this. Yeah. Which is a big deal for David Lynch. Yes. He had to clarify and explain himself, which has happened maybe three times in his life. And famously... And wrote this letter. People ask him, is this what you meant? He's like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elaborate on that? No. that All of that. Um, but he wrote this letter. I just remember him saying something about... Your soul will sing, <laughs> and it was—it's great. We'll it's find that the lynchiest. But yeah, it's but that like he's there. I think I think he has. I mean, he, you know, brought in a trans care. Like he, I think has his finger on the button. I think he just doesn't like the labels. I don't think he likes the descriptors. Mm-hmm. I don't. It it comes down to very privileged place to live in. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. But at the same time, 
I just want to live and be free and be an artist. And also not, I just want to be, he kind of just wants to be on his own and do his own Yeah, thing. and I think that's also kind of a bygone era thing. Of, yeah. of back in the day, we didn't really think about artists' political leanings because they were by and large the same way people were like oh well back in my day uh, if I'm a Democrat I'll still have dinner with my Republican Senate person and it's Mm -hmm. fine but back in those days we weren't as keenly aware that the sort of policies Republicans are putting in place are leading to the death of people yeah and so maybe it wasn't great that Democrats were like oh well whatever I like getting drink with this guy like sure he thinks women shouldn't be able to have an abortion if they don't want to be pregnant but like what does that have to do with me? And I think that was just a lineage of old white yeah. lawmakers. Um, David Lynch's uh, open letter, uh, basically saying that um, Trump oh, could you're read it. Uh, it's not very long. This okay. quote he said about could go down. Uh, Trump could go down the greatest presidents in history. Um, this quote, which has traveled around, was taken a bit out of context and would need some explaining. Unfortunately, if you continue as you have been. You will not have a chance to go down in history as a great president. This would be very sad, it seems, for you and for the country. You are causing suffering and division. It's not too late to turn the ship around. Point our ship toward a bright future for all. You can unite the country. Your soul will sing. Under great, loving leadership, no one loses. Everybody wins. It's something that I hope you think about and take to heart. All you need to do is treat all the people as you would like to be treated. Which is... Sincerely, David Lynch. I mean, it's not nearly as hard-hitting as my open letter would be to Trump, but, like... But But it's it's a plea for peace, and uh it's a plea for... I'm not gonna... Yeah, it's... Anyway, I don't know. God, okay, we're almost an hour in. We need to (laughs) to get kicking. It's almost... It's past Mikey's bedtime, y'all. We're... We're on borrowed time. <laughs> um, we're talking about one of my favorite things in the world, so yeah. we're good. So, oh God, back to Ben. Ben confesses to Audrey that he's owned One-Eyed Jacks for five years. He knew that Laura worked there and that he slept with her. And when Audrey asked if he killed her, he said he loved her. And this is maybe the most yucked out I've been by... Because he has a picture of Laura on his desk? Not even that, but... It, and I'm gonna get into like some it's, other serial killer shit soon it's, because it's somebody, it's a awful person grasping for redemption and justification and wanting to be. Oh, but it's not my fault. Well, as if a 50-year-old man saying he's in love with an 18, 17, 18-year-old girl somehow excuses all of his garbage behavior. That's what we call grooming in the industry. Mm -hmm. I don't know what industry I was talking about. Well, no, Um, it's, I mean, yeah, and he's, it it wasn't coming from a place of malice. I I wasn't just fucking this girl. Yeah. I loved her. I raped an underage... Doesn't make it better, buddy. I raped an underage woman because I loved her. Yeah. No. It's not... Doesn't help. Not a great look. Yeah. But it also dances around the fact that they're... From a script point of view, they're setting this up to make Ben Horn look like the murderer of Laura Palmer. Correct. And when she says, did you kill Laura? And he says, says, I I loved loved her. 
Oh, he didn't answer the question. I picked up on that. Uh, I'm a smart audience guy. And Ben Horn is a scumbag. So, like, it's not not like, oh, Andy killed Laura Palmer. No, it's a guy who's done shitty things. They make it believable. Um, Shelly returns to the diner. This is one of your favorite scenes. Um, She returns to the diner and cries when she tells Norma she has to quit. Essentially, she says taking care of Leo is a full-time job and I might have to leave. And like, just my heart aches for her. There's a look on Norma's face, though. That makes Mikey want Norma Dur- to be his mother. That, But during the scene where she's like, yeah, girl, I know. I've been there. I've been exactly where you are. I, I, I know all of this. I've been in this place. You'll be fine. And I'll do what I need to do. Just know I'm always here. Well, and, and it's just there's it's like a half smile mm-hmm. that like it's a very this too shall pass yeah. sort of thing it, it I, I feel it really I'm, a, I'm on the other side of where you're going yeah. through and you'll get back but to me but she's not because she's still married to her jailbird husband yeah but um, it reminds me a lot of but, but she can't the thing is I think she like Norma want wants to help Shelly because she she can see it as fixing her own past. Mm, that's good. Do you take. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I can help you through this because I failed when I was in your position because no one was there to support me. I can fix it for you because I've come to terms with my life now but I want you to have a better life. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like she sees it as correcting her own past. With Leo coming home and all, I'm supposed to be there to watch him, and um, it looks like it's going to be a full-time thing. I was thinking that I have to quit my job just for a little while anyway. I promised myself I wasn't gonna do this. It's all right, sweetheart. I just feel so bad. I love you. I love working here. I don't wanna let you down. You're not gonna let me down. I'm not. Shelly, you've got your own life to worry about. I'll be fine here. Are you sure? Yes. And you look after yourself. When you're ready, you can come right back. It'll be like you haven't even missed a day. Yeah, I think you're correct. I also think that I read this moment as a real, like, like ladies helping ladies kind of moment. Yeah, all of that. Of because yeah. I think a lot. I have been in both sides of this position of like either being the one who is apologizing or being apologized to, and just being like, listen, I understand you have to say I feel like shit about this, but I need you to know while you are still talking, I need you to know, I'm not mad. I'm not hurt. I care about you as a person. It, it's just thank you. Oh my 
yeah and you're welcome Michael <laughs> anyway it's uh, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised at how well Lynch manages female relationships I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's a testament to his understanding of the world and him as God, I was I, a feminist. I, I just see him as I don't see him as a feminist, quote unquote, per se. Because he doesn't like labels. Well yeah. But I just I just think like almost like people talk about like being colorblind. Mm. I think David Lynch just really sees people as people. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I think he just he I don't think he sees your outer shell. He just sees what's inside. Mm-hmm. And good there's good people and bad people. There's fear and love. Sure. It's it's he sees the world in this giant shade of gray, but people and events are very much fall into fear or love. Hmm. I it's it's are you, it's would your would your analysis be that Shelly is coming with fear and Norma's shooting love back at her? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like she's she's solving the fear of I can't do this with Bobby. I'm struggling with this. I'm stuck with this abusive husband who's now vegetative, and I have to take I. Mm-hmm. This guy spent his our marriage railing on me and being awful, and now I have to fucking take care of him. Fuck this. And and you know what's going to solve that? More fucking love. Yeah. God, I just had a strong flashback to uh, back in my college days in the summers. I used to work at Maxinermas, uh-huh. which is a, if, if you don't have one around, like a Chili's or a TGI Fridays um, that's in the Midwest or was in the Midwest. And I, my mom had said something really mean to me right as I was getting ready to go to work. Um, and I went to work and like, uh, Mikey knows me pretty well. I'm not good at hiding my emotions, some might say. Mm-hmm. And also, if I've been crying, my entire face is like tomato, <laughs> tomato red immediately. <laughs> and so I walk in and like, my Max Nermis polo. <laughs> and I'm like clacking in, like sobbing. <laughs> I'm clacking in. I, I'm, I'm laughing because the, the situation it, the visual is so ridiculous. The things my mom said were actually deeply hurtful. And so I was like trying to clock in. And my manager, who is this lovely woman, like brought me mm. into her her office, which is a desk again. Yeah. A generous broom closet. Yeah. A broom closet with a small desk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I know those. And she's like, tell me what happened. And I immediately like burst into tears. I'm like, my mom said this to me. And then she said this. And like just ugly cried. She was like, why don't you take the night off? And she just sent me, hu- <laughs> not nice. in a mean way of like, you can't see yeah, yeah. customers, but in a way where like, this sucks. That, but I will say in the service industry, that's incredibly rare. But in the service industry, it's very much like we need X but amount of servers. I, like, I remember once being one of the sickest I've ever been in my life. Like I was vomiting every few minutes once. It what was are you sick with? Just sick. But it wasn't like food poisoning. It was might have been. Like, I don't remember. This was 15 years ago or more. Um, and I remember being able to like keep it down long enough to like call the fucking work and be like, okay, I do, I can't come. And he's like, okay, 
were you able to find someone to switch? I'm like, I can't. Yeah. I'm not calling I'm barely, anybody. I'm yeah. barely doing this. And they're like, okay, well, call back in a couple hours if we can't find it. And I was like, no. I'm not. Fuck you. I'm in. dying right now. Yeah. Like, th- it's that kind of shit that like, ugh. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, the service yeah. industry does shit too. Anyway, if Norma was either our moms or our managers she's, at our very she's, she's the <laughs> best else? of us. She's yeah, really just she's love kind. personified. Well, and she's she's kind and forgiving to a fault, right? Like yeah, she forgives her shitty ex husband. Yeah. she shouldn't like, and she'll take on everybody else's burdens well and i think that's also an interesting sort of discussion about like what makes like a quote-unquote good woman is that's what we see is like not only is she maternal but she is like you said willing to take on other people's pain to ease their burden and willing to Mm -hmm. forgive her shithole ex-husband like she's a kind person who is ultimately taken advantage of and like but then that's why Ed becomes so important because he's Ed's so good. He's that for her, and that's why you want that to work so bad. They because each she's other. done so much for so many other people, and nobody's there for her except Ed. And Ed is stuck being in really, this, really nice to this. But in the same reason, like I know, he it's is so. That's is, why you want them together so, so badly. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh my goodness! I cannot wait till the third season when this all gets resolved. Um, oof, okay. She returns to the diner and cries when she tells Norma she has to quit. Nadine and Big Ed enter, so Nadine still thinks that she's in high school and also has super strength, which one or the other would have been... This is, I mean, for for what's a mediocre plot line of... This is as good as that plot line it's, it's going to get. It's goofy, and, and most of it works because of Ed, who's just like... Ed is the definition yeah, of, like, affable. She, she's been uh, here for about, about what, six weeks? What? And just like, been uh, about uh, six weeks, uh, right? Uh, uh, and like, but, like, help me. I'm, I'm drowning here. He t- yeah. It's so, uh. Um, And then she, and Nadine crushes, the, oh, my God, it's so good. My parents are in Europe. They love Europe. <laughs> like. <laughs> um, Nadine orders two chocolate shakes and coffee for me. It's <laughs> a coffee, which I genuinely am not sure if Nadine was intending to order a milkshake each or if she was like, I need to, I'm burning calories like a motherfucker. I need two chocolate milkshakes Mary. to keep up. Um, and then she grabs a glass and crushes it. She's like, I've been so clumsy. <laughs> I just. This is such a good episode. We don't deserve this. Yeah. Okay. So we cut back to ugh, Bobby. Uh, Bobby and his friend Mike. A reappearance from Mike. We haven't seen him since exactly. this third episode. Honestly, again, I think another character Lynch likes. Why does Frost Lynch likes. like him? He's a nothing burger of a character. Tell me tell me two things about Mike that you know besides he's a white blonde guy. I, he, oh. he gives some grounding to Bobby. Bobby's story then becomes not just relying on Shelly. Yeah. It gives him humanity outside of the Bobby-Shelly relationship, which is what's important. Um, okay. I'm going to give you that. Yeah. But I want, for and, the record, you can't tell me two things about Mike. And he's not Kevin Bacon. <laughs> who Listen. Jessica thought he was in what's he, 
episode three or four? Uh, one, I think. The pilot? Um, in my defense, I have white guy face blindness, and I think yeah. all white men look the same. So uh, that's, also, he that's, be, he be, that's protected under the ADA. So it, the fact that you're harassing me for that is a violation of a, my rights. a character in the latter half of this season. I like, genuinely do not remember him. Hey, Every time I see him, line. I'm shocked. He's got a whole Nadine storyline. Bobby and his friend Mike enter the Johnson home. Uh, Bobby has Leo's old boots and tries to get Leo to react. <laughs> I did really like this. So he said he knows something is up with these boots. And and new shoes and mike is like did you like a lot of people hide shit in the heels or whatever he's like did you think i didn't look there just get a hammer and then he gets a hammer and just bashes the shoes and what does he find in there like straight up cash or oh okay okay so it wasn't like cash rolled up in there i stopped Mm -hmm. paying attention to that plot line uh oh a tape hidden in the heel of the boot got it is this related at all to when that scene when andy keeps like Sideshow bobbing himself with the porch. Is that the same idea? It's the boot. It's the, the same boot. Presumably the same boots okay. found in there. Is sideshow bobbing There's an okay brand. verb to use? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cooper makes a note for Diane while examining Laura Palmer's secret diary, which has been reconstructed. Uh, there are repeat references to Bob with descriptions of abuse and molestation. Uh, he is referred to as a friend of her father's, which is chilling mm-hmm. so chilling mm-hmm. um ooh, an entry says that she will tell the world about ben horn one day it's also a great way to tease ben horn okay oh yeah without with red herring him a little bit a little bit but also in a way that like oh it's not oh uh-huh. it's it's one of those it's a it's a great turn of phrase yeah that works. Uh, yeah, a friend of my father's is a deeply terrifying thing. Um, and entry said, okay, Audrey. Oh, so as he's doing this record, which I think is a really good use of the way he narrates what he's doing, because he's talking out loud to Diane and his recorder, thinking. and it's it's his internal monologue, but he's saying it. And as he's doing that, Audrey walks in, tells Cooper that Ben was sleeping with Laura, that Ben owns One-Eyed Jacks. Uh, Cooper asks Audrey not to repeat this to anyone. Holy smokes. Holy smokes is, may go down in history as the most underrated reaction. or like Just great delivery and everything, yeah. Because I, I It was funny because I remember she said like, did she say he slept with Laura or did he made love with Laura? She uses one of those like euphemisms and as she said that, I was like, God, if this is the real world, an 18-year-old girl would be like, my dad fucked Laura. <laughs> they and- were smashing. <laughs> like- <laughs> and, like, the next line was like, holy smokes. Like, all right, okay, I get it. We're just, on network television. He, but he's also just, like, that's his character. He's very wholesome. I think, it, it, like, part of it is, like, not only is that what Cooper is, is not only is that what Cooper would probably say, He's in front of a young lady. You know what I mean? So I'm being extra cautious yeah. with what I say. And yeah. I think there's a little bit of that, too. Uh, okay. Um, Cooper tells Harry that they need a warrant for the arrest of, of Ben Horn. Um, commercial break. Commercial break. Uh, ben tells Tajamora that Jerry has... God, Jerry has been name-checked a lot. We haven't seen him in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um. His brother, Jerry, has investigated his company. Okay, wait. Like, ben- I think these are moments, too, where, like, Lynch and Frost were like, 
We haven't seen Jerry in a while. I couldn't get him into this episode, but let's at least mention him. <laughs> yeah. So maybe someone will bring him back. Ben tells yeah. Tajamora that Jerry has investigated his company, his meaning Tajamora. There's yeah, just some dangling modifiers. Yeah, I think so. Uh, has investigated his company and that they have approved his proposal. Yeah, the Tokyo Bank stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's about to sign Tajimura's contract when the police officers enter and request that Ben accompany them for questioning regarding the murder of Laura Palmer, which is how you know he's but a rich right white now. guy. Because I have other... to go get a sandwich. I'm going to go get a No! 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 <laughs> it's also how you know he's a rich white guy because if the cops are going to arrest a black guy for murder, they would just fucking shoot him in oh, the head. Be like, he looked at me funny. He gave me the side eye. Um, uh, Ben also, tells them to leave yeah. Hawk and Andy grab and cuff him and then as they're leaving Cooper looks back at Tajimura and has like a great little like hmm, like head nod of like politely sorry to inconvenience you because Tajimura's just standing there like and like the assistant Tajimura's assistant is there too like what the fuck man yeah I didn't I, and I didn't they're just standing that. there and Cooper's like Sorry to bother you. Sorry about that. Uh, carry on. <laughs> Sir. It's, yeah. But but just watching Ben, like, especially after, like, the breakdown of Ben's character in this episode mm-hmm. of being just puffed out, like, I am a... I, Alpha male. I just got done with this huge fucking deal where we're scheming with Josie and all this. Ghostwood's going, I'm a... I am the, a fucking god. Mm-hmm. To by the end, he's... Like a fucking toddler. No, no, you, you can't arrest me. Yeah, is so amazing. And like all of the meek stuff with Audrey, just the just hit landed, hit landed, mm-hmm. hit like it's a boxing match where he hasn't blocked a punch. Yeah, and he's just getting knocked down one rung at a time. It's incredible. <sighs> okay. Um. So so Ben's taken away. We cut back to the Palmer's home where a record is... All right, we're about to get the shit. Not yet. This is just oh, a tease. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, a record... It says a record spins blankly. So I... This is just the tease of the... Yes. So it's... I've never used a record player because I was mm-hmm. born in 1985, like a regular mm-hmm. human is. I had is, records. Is that just when it's done playing? It... Yeah, so... There's no grooves for the needle to catch mm-hmm. on the inside, but once it's done with the, the yeah. grooves that actually play something, it gets to the center, and the center, it's still spinning, because the record won't stop spinning. The motor just keeps it spinning, mm-hmm. but it's not... So it's catching the last sort of... There's nothing for it to catch, so it's just... So it's clicking on it. Is it just the last like it's just part the, of the, it's just the, the circle? Okay. Scratching gotcha. nothing. No, okay. no, it's not catching a groove. It's just the circle... Of nothing, essentially. Okay. Uh, we see Sarah crawl down the stairs, moaning for Leland. Crawl is generous. She's fucking liquid. Oh, my God. She's just like fucking... like Dottie, when she's, like, asleep <laughs> on the chair and she uh-huh. gets down and she just, it's, like, dissolves off the yeah, chair. Yeah, she's just... It's horrifying. Slithering mm-hmm. in this... It's, slithering is the right word. It's, it's just... She's boneless. Yeah. Mm. And just this... And her hair is kind of bobbing because she's got this big hair that just yeah. it's it's we- like it's it's weird it's yeah. but it's great it's great and then they cut to the fan again you see the fan the fan 
the officers take Ben to a holding cell. The log lady is waiting for them, and she says there are owls in the roadhouse. In house. a great shot. In a great, great shot. Oh, she, that, you can she, just see her elbow You her see log. them walk in. The Andy and them take Ben Horned in the holding cell. Cooper and Truman are standing in the thing. And then stepping into frame and you rack fo- focus is just so the good. Log. So, Not even the log lady. Just and you can kind of see her elbow. Yeah, so you can see somebody cradling it. it. But then and then they, they rack focus back and they so pull good. in and she's she's talking to him and just says the there's owls in the roadhouse mm-hmm. and something is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we cut back to Pete's house. Uh, he turns toward Asana's house. Taji Mora stalks in the hallway and kisses Pete. It almost makes this ridiculous Taji Mora stuff worthwhile because this interaction. There is an delightful. element of gay panic that I'm not is, crazy about. But also, but also not in a. But he's very polite about it. Exactly. Excuse me, sir. There's an honesty <laughs> of like that's not. That is not my preference. That's not me. I also don't want to insult you for that. Because he doesn't swing at him. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you because you're gay. I'm mad at you because I don't know who you are and you just kissed me. You sexually assaulted me just now. It's not about who it was. Yeah. It's, there's a, there's an honesty to it Mm -hmm. that I feel like it doesn't play for like a, a gay panic friends laugh. Yes. You know what I mean? This isn't something, this isn't Chandler being like, what? It's. Classic Chandler being, by the way. Exactly. (laughs) Um, but you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's it's a very different and, and honest yes. delivery of all of it. And it works. And so Tajimar kisses Pete, proceeds to take off their... It says take off their disguise. It just takes off... Just the glasses. The but, glasses. But she drops the voice. Is the she does thing. drop the voice, yes. It's and she's exactly got a right. very distinct voice. Hey, look here, Buster. You just watch it. Since the moment we met, I have been strangely attracted to you. Just better get the hell out of here, mister. There's something about your eyes. So warm. And deep. And through is the sky. Dummy, it's me! It's me! And she, you do it very well. I'm like, don't you recognize me? Dummy, it's me. <laughs> and he's like, like does all the faces. What? Honestly, when I think of Catherine in this scene, I think of like a Kristen Wiig character. Oh, yeah. Dummy, don't you recognize? Of her doing Liza Minnelli or something. Yep. It's so big in... Oh my god! Yeah, it's great. I truly have such a soft spot, soft spot in my heart for Catherine. Like mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm, love mm-hmm, that character, mm-hmm. even though like she's a villainess. But okay, uh, Sarah crawls through the living room, so we're back at the Palmer's house, and she has a vision of a white horse in the living room before passing out. In a giant spotlight, it's so wild again. And you see Leland there, like, fixing his he's tie. He's fixing his tie. Is so, that when you see him? Not yet. Okay. But you see that he's there and, and presumably ignoring what's happening. So I've seen this show a couple of times. I've never understood what the white horse is supposed to symbolize. Am I missing something? Or is it just like, you know, it'd be creepy, a white horse in your living room? You said it yourself at the beginning of the episode. What did I say? What is a pale horse? Oh, fuck me. It's a pale horse. It represents death. Michael. I 
I'm honestly baffled right now that this that wasn't in your head the entire time. Genuinely, I thought that's why you kept bring. You were like looking up what a pale horse was and all. Well, because I have interest in biblical references. Here's the theme of my life: is I wish I was as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it's yeah. a pale horse instead, Jessica. Yeah, <laughs> you fucking idiot. Um, so behind her, Leland adjusts his tie in the mirror. God damn it, Jessica. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I, like, I honestly didn't know if you were doing a bit. I was <laughs> I'm not doing a bit. I'm that dumb. <laughs> I'm so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, Christ, what a fucking crutch. Okay. Oh, we cut back, <laughs> we cut back to the roadhouse. This is a blonde performance on stage. Do you know her name, I presume? Um, um. Yes. Okay. Good start. Julie Cruz. Julie Cruz. Blanked out for a moment. Put um, me on the spot and I panicked. Yeah. But I came through. Yeah. It's almost like you sound like an idiot on your own podcast. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Well, let's let's think it through. A white horse, pale horse represents death. Julie Cruz. Got it. Fuck shit. Oh, fuck shit. Um, uh, Donna and James sit at a booth. Uh, James says the death of Harold Smith was not anybody's fault. I didn't need to laugh at that line. I'm just still laughing at how dumb I am. And maybe we'll laugh till the end of time. Um, the death of Harold Smith is not anybody's fault. Um, the lo- In maybe the greatest entrance in television. Yes. Harry Truman and Cooper. and Cooper like push the door. Bu- burst doors the doors. Open, and she's. Front center. Love lady. It's oh, so it's good. so good. I, I mentioned you mentioned that like great entrance when that happened, and I was and I said the same thing of like, I feel like this is David Lynch saying like, look how important this character is. All of you other directors and writers use her more. She's fucking important. Honestly, this I'm I'm glad we've done this podcast for many many reasons, but one of them is that I really like your take of. Lynch loves these characters yeah. and he thinks they don't get enough airtime. So whenever they're whenever it's a Lynch episode, he's like, Log Lady Sublime. Please. Yeah. I'm begging you. Yeah. I'm leaving you clues. I'm leaving you things to pick up and you're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. This is honestly doing this podcast is like when I, I read Moby Dick in a lit class of like if I just sat down and read Moby Dick by myself, I would certainly have hated it because <laughs> it's twelve thousand pages. And a lot of it is about whale, <laughs> whale like shit, but Z. whale Z. anatomy is the word I was thinking okay. of. I, was, I kept thinking autonomy, and I knew that wasn't it. But like going into class week after week and like discussing yeah. it made me understand it more. Had what's up, I mean, Doctor Mix? She's the best. Like I, oh, of know. course, and like that's why I think I love. The reason I wanted to do this podcast but, is I love podcasts yeah. like this. Of but like, you, yeah, you need whatever it is who whatever is going, you know, whatever art you're looking at. It's even if someone can explain it, cool sometimes, but like, it's got to resonate with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, there's shit like the. It's come up recently with like Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I really like some early stuff. Who did you just say was getting Scorsese territory for you? Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I love Boogie Nights. I love. I like. I love Punch Drunk Love. You just watched that recently, right? Punch Punch Drunk Love. Not yet. 
I, oh, I just I picked you... it. I just bought the Criterion version. I haven't watched it yet. Okay, since. I've, I've watched it again with to. you. Really? I thought you didn't want to. I didn't want anyway, to, but I. I just, Maybe it's like I just edible. everything like it. is so fucking pretentious. Yeah, and I it's, don't. Get, it's all up But if I sat and watched it, and someone explained it, okay, 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 you get on board for things. But I just don't. I feel like I you and care. I, you and I, if we go to see a movie together, we have a a thing where like whenever we leave, and frequently we're divided on whatever movie we just saw. Yeah. We have very opposite tastes in movies, which which is great. That's one of my favorite things in the world is when we both love a movie. Like, and, and it's so on, infrequent. We got on a trend. Up until like quarantine happened, where oh, twenty nineteen movie season was we great, great for us. We did great. We so infrequently like the same movie, and I mm-hmm. feel like when that's the case, it's really hard to have a conversation with a person that doesn't end in you being like, oh yeah, I guess this is stupid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, and or best case scenarios, you feel really defensive, and you shouldn't be defensive about art. You like it or you don't like yeah. it. You relate or you don't. Um. Oof, okay. Like, I feel like Little Women was, like, our pinnacle. Like, we kept seeing great movies, and then we saw Little Women, and we're like, this is so... I, w- I would have... Jojo mo- Rabbit? I would have said Queen and Slim, but, yeah, same thing. Yes. But all those, Genuinely, all 29, three, but 2019. But all three of those are excellent. We, we both loved them walking out of the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, it's buck wild, because mm-hmm. it happens so infrequently. Yep. We have such opposite tastes in almost everything. Yeah, I don't think we have opposite tastes. I I, we know. tend to not like the same, like our, the kind of hokey shit that we like is different. Like you like hokey Stallone, I like hokey Hallmark. Mm-hmm. Like we just have different. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I It's. Anyway. It is what it is. Whew, okay. <laughs> We're getting into the heavy duty stuff, so let's All right. Okay. No more uh no more sidebars. So um the log lady oh we start with the log lady uh leads Cooper and Harry into the roadhouse and she like places them at the mm. table. It's and glorious. then she proceeds to eat peanuts with the vigilance of with vim and vigor it's it's like i am i am eating the fuck out of these peanuts right now nobody get in my way (laughs) i have peanuts to eat leave me alone it's great another instance you talked about um that cooper had a beer in front of him and never drinks it we didn't see him drink it but it gets lower in a later in one of the later shots there's Beer missing, but you never see him drink. Is Lynch a drinker or non-drinker? Uh, he definitely drinks wine. Well, who among us? Because he drinks it on screen in several episodes of season three. Um, well, a fine Bordeaux. Like, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean he. But it he's so he heavily involved that in that in, you yeah. wouldn't have put that in. But. I don't know if he drinks much beyond that, but he's because I'm just heavy, wondering if heavy smoker. So sure, I'm just wondering if he thinks drinking is like a like not drinking is a sign of virtue, which whatever. I, I don't know. I, I don't I was know curious. that he does, but I could see that he thinks Cooper does. Sure, okay, that's fine. I would believe that but then but then if that were the case they would just never have put a beer in front of him in the first place right or like, at least at one point say I donna and james are sitting at a table and they have cokes mm-hmm. like well and even with presumably with, you it's not a bar bar you don't have to be drinking alcohol not like you go to a bar you have to drink alcohol yeah, but there's 
cops about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, oh, of he, course. But like with Cooper, it's such an easy out that you could just say he's always drinking coffee no matter what. Like it's such yeah. an easy thing yeah. of like replace the beer with the coffee. Anyway, not important. Um, sailors drink at the bar. Bobby is also sitting at the bar. That's an interesting story. Oh. Um, that I'm going to tell because Bobby, I'm not ready for this. Yeah, go. Please do. <laughs> so Bobby uh, was a sailor because he liked bell Dana, bottoms. Dana Ashbrook. Um, the actor who plays Bobby. Mm-hmm. The very handsome uh, actor who not, plays Bobby. Was not supposed to be in any of this. and He is. He does feel added in. He was just there on set because he was like this. You're filming. A huge scene. A, a big stuff. I want to see what's going on. I like this show. I want to know what's going to happen. Because most of the actors did not know who killed Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. This is new information for people. And we're filming that episode today. I want to just go hang out on set because I've got an in and I'm like, the, like the, these, a lot of these actors used to get together every night that it was on and just like have watch parties and shit. Yeah. They would like, oh, we're all meeting up at Dana's house. We're all going to meet up at Major Amick's house. We're going to meet up at somebody's house and like watch the episode together, which is cool. Yeah. But like they wanted to know also what was going to happen. I think that does happen with a lot of shows. Yeah. Not just this, but just because like if you're an actor in a show, you see, you know, this little chunk of it. So uh, anyway. so, so basically he was there just hanging out on set and Lynch was like. He was like, hey, you're very handsome. We I want you to do. Because basically then what he ended up doing is recreating the uh, scene in the school on the pilot. Sure. Where sure, 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 sure. they're making the, the they're making the announcement that Laura Palmer was found dead and everybody just knows. The same way this happens in this scene this was, where everybody just knows something's happening. But not everybody. I think everybody does it well, in service. Well, that's uh, sure. The pe- the people directly involved in which is interesting Which why I would be kind Bobby, of argue but, that Bobby... No, but I think it's just... Although he dated Laura Palmer. Yeah, I think there's... He's got a du- direct connection to Laura. Sure. And, and this is all tying back to Laura. Those right. who had a connection to Laura felt this. Yes. And even Cooper, who mm-hmm. has an indirect connection he's, to Laura. It, right. Uh, Cooper has a vision of the performing band disappearing. I... I don't know why this, the visual of this band playing, because it's a pretty small stage and you have, what's her name? Julie Cruz. Julie Cruz in this beautiful red, like 50 style dress, which Julie Cruz is gorgeous, has maybe the worst haircut I've ever seen in my entire <sighs> life. And it's too fucking bad because she's, her voice is so ethereal. Mm. She's just a stutter. <laughs> and so it's her backed by 12, a 12-piece band. But, it felt like a lot. But I there's mean, like six or eight people back there, yeah. Um, and it's taking up this whole very small stage. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the big velvet red drapes. Bill, yeah. And she's wearing red with the mm-hmm. well, red drapes, which I would think wouldn't work. But like, mm-hmm. it just makes her, po- oh, it's gorgeous. They all fade out. But and right before that, too, sitting next to Bobby at the bar, Cooper sees the waiter, the the yes, the Great Northern waiter with the, the bow tie, the old the, man. The the I want to be clear because people might not remember who the waiter is. The room service guy who mm-hmm. comes in right after Cooper had Senior gotten shot. Senior drill cup, as he's referred to. <laughs> um, 
So, so we see this band, this beautiful band, singing this really ethereal. They do something with like, not, not that it's not her voice, but they do something to like modify her voice. That yeah, it's music just like, comes in. It's just synth sounds. It's very yeah. synthy. Um, and then all of a sudden it fades out. Spotlights beaming on both the stage and Cooper's face. And Cooper has a vision um, that the band is replaced by the giant who said it's happening again. And I have many, many, many thoughts on this. One of my immediate thoughts, though, was David Lynch, every person in this shot, every person he does a close-up in is the most beautiful they could be. Like, just the shot of the giant, there's just something gorgeous about his... Like, he, he's not meant to be, like, a heartbreaker or whatever, but something about, like, the the angle of his face and the lighting, hmm. he just, like, I was just lost in his eyes. Well, every, everybody is lit in spot, so... Yeah, maybe that's it's, just... It's very much that... They're they're almost glowing. It's it's almost like yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. But just like the way the giant was, it just he looked mm-hmm. really gorgeous to me. I don't know why. Like it's not a thing. I yeah. you see him a couple times throughout this. This is the first time he just looked like an otherworldly. Well, and they you recognize that he's he's also not shot from like his from below. Knees yes, where to make him look really really yes. tall. You're right. He's shot like a normal person. Yes. Um, at, you know, face level or whatever. And so we have this scene of the band has disappeared. For, and we assume it's just Cooper's POV, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really know. But I, in, when I remember There's it, indication that Catherine Coulson, or um, Log Lady, knows something's up. Yes. Because most yes, everybody... she has a similar all eye all of the bodies in the thing. Harry Truman's basically frozen. Mm-hmm. All of the bodies are basically like... Stuck in place, frozen. Either still or like moving so slowly. Very slowly. And and Margaret, um, she's still in real is, time. Is in real time, and but also kind of like looking around, like something is up. I can't necessarily see this, but I mm-hmm. uh, like maybe the log is telling me something's happening. Oh yeah. Or I don't know what it is, but something is happening, and she's kind of looking at Cooper, like he sees it. Mm-hmm. The log is probably telling her something. But something is happening what? and she's in tune to something but doesn't necessarily know what. And I think it speaks to the the effect of this this scene that when I remember it, like, you know, before we I watched it today, I hadn't seen it for two years or something, which isn't super long. Mm-hmm. But when I think of this scene, my, remem- my memory of it is that everybody in the whole bar disappears except mm. for Cooper and the giant. And I... Obviously, I remember it wrong, but I think it is a, a testament to how Lynch directed it of like... They're not lit. They're yeah, not lit. You, We're not looking at them. It doesn't fucking matter what they're doing. But it's it's showing you that this is happening. This isn't being removed from what's happening. This is just... This is happening simultaneously. Yes. Yes, exactly. It is happening again. It is happening again. Um, so the giant says it's happening again. Which is... I don't know. What, there's something about those simple... I think as a writer, um, 
I see a simple phrase like it's happening again and the fact that it has so much impact. And he says it twice. And it makes me, Yeah. this is not going to be the cutest look on me. It makes me deeply jealous that I, that just somebody can be so good with their words. And that, so confident in it. Yes. That's yes. the key. That's exactly it's, right. It's not that the words are good and simple. It's that I'm confident that this is enough. Yeah. All I have to say is it's happening again. And, and that's everybody knows. You know what? Say it twice. Like it's, yeah, I, I know I know what you mean. Yeah, there's, and I don't know if you feel this way about like directors in certain shots, but once in a while I'll read something or hear something and like as a writer I'm so deeply jealous mm-hmm. that another person came up with something so brilliant. Like, and it's not just jealousy, it's just like I will never come up with a line as good as it's happening again, which is... Mm-hmm. And out of context, like... It's a nothing phrase. It's not a, you know... It's the same thing with, like, you're going to need a bigger boat. It's a dumb line, but, like, is it? It's, it's, you know, it's... There's so many great... The dude abides. Yes. That's so awesome. And it's so dumb. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, yeah, it's... it's, and and you get the right people to perform it, and it transcends the material. Of course, I I think that's why I could not that I'm like a writer of fiction, really, but I think being a writer for for stage, for screen, for television requires so much confidence mm-hmm. in the actors and the director to mm-hmm. be like. And, and I, I think we've talked about it before. Of like somebody has said something, and we're like, I don't think that was as written. I don't yeah. think they got and that's what the writer was saying. That's why so many writer directors want to direct because they want to. They don't trust other people with their words, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's to a fault. Sometimes not. But it's it's a matter of that. I you hear it all the time about screenwriters who were I sold my script. And I hate it. Do you know? I hate it because there. This isn't. Oh, that's not what I wanted. This has but, to be eight yeah. years ago that I listened to a podcast. Uh, I listened to Planet Money podcast. I think it was Planet Money. It might have been This American Life. It was an NPR podcast <laughs> of somebody saying like he wrote this screenplay about um, about people in Cuba and dealing with you know, what was going on with the government and like it was during, you know, the Bay of Pigs or whatever and they had to deal with all this shit. And so it was just about like an American and a Cuban guy like mm-hmm. figuring their shit out and that screenplay got like fucked up and fucked up and fucked up and now it's Dirty Dancing to Havana Nights. <laughs> but it's a guy who wrote a great yeah, screenplay yeah. about what it's like to be a Cuban and yeah. meet an American. It's... Yeah. Uh, it's impossible. Yeah. It's But that's but at the same time what becomes the detriment to a screenplay or something like that sometimes can also be the best thing about film is that of it's course. so collaborative. Of course. Yeah. So we cut back to the Palmer's house. We're about to get into the scene that Mm-hmm. <laughs> that ruined a thousand childhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leland smiles. At, so he's standing and he's, is he wearing a tie? Is yeah, he he's adjusting, adjusting his tie? His tie. Um, and he's looking at a mirror, which is actually, before we get into this, I think one of the things I find really ter- terrifying about this, 
about this scene is, and I don't know if this is true for you, but the way the Palmer's house is decorated feels so ingrained in my childhood from the the lamp with the sort of like mm-hmm. accordion thing to mm-hmm. random pictures that have no... I had a vi- We had a very, very similar mirror, right? And Yeah, that that mirror at like shoulder height. It, it was we, it, not the same one. We had a mirror like when you first walked into my front door, right outside the door, I was... In the house... There. Yeah. Your mom still is in? So right, like, at the... Like, you walk into my mom's house, there's the hallway straight ahead. Uh-huh. There's a living... In between the hallway straight ahead and the yeah. there's a little thing. There's a mirror right there, which is Is it still he... there? No. Okay. I was going to say that doesn't matter. He... That's basically where he is, right in front of the door. Yeah. And I was terrified of that mirror. Did you ever tell anybody about it? Me and Carrie talks about it all the time. Really? Yeah, because we watched. Carrie is his. So, so my sister. older sister Carrie. Um, so his watched oldest it sister together. Is... My oldest oldest sister Vicky is the one who was on this show earlier with her yeah. friend. They went off and watched this on their own watch party and left me and Carrie alone at who were what twelve and thirteen. When was this aired? November. Uh, November ninety. So, so you were 11. 11. Oh, Jesus. I always thought I was older. November 10th, 1990. So you had just turned 11. Fuck. So, yeah. And Carrie 11 was... 11 and... Carrie 13. was 12, almost 13. Mikey was an O, baby. So, yeah. So we watched it together alone. I don't know where the fuck my mom was. She was working one of her 14 jobs Probably. to, like, support you monsters. Oh, fuck. But, yeah. It... We... There was a mirror in the bathroom, so after we watched this... Most bathrooms have mirrors. Obviously. Let's not pretend that was but, a decorating choice. No, but there was a, because there was a mirror in the bathroom, we both had to go to the bathroom at the end of the episode. We wouldn't close the door because we didn't want to be alone with the mirror in the bathroom. <laughs> so we left the door open. I stood outside with my back to the wall outside the bathroom outside the so door. Carrie could go to the bathroom and leave the door open. And then she did the same thing for me because we were fucking... Terrifying. So was the fear... Okay, so I had a similar fear. My my friends, the Tobins, who lived around the corner from us, their dad was like a big game hunter. Okay. And so their entire basement was filled with ah, trophies. The McNeil house, that was... Sure, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Like, so literally when you walk down their stairs, there was a giant mm-hmm. fucking water buffalo head mm-hmm. right, at the, right at there. They had a stuffed, like, grizzly bear, a zebra. Like, it was stuffed... Animals, all stuffed animals in a taxidermy taxidermy way, and I used to scare the fuck out of myself just by walking down Mm. those stairs because I was sure that water buffalo was gonna like come alive. Mm. I don't know specifically what I was scared of. I think it just gave me the the eebies. You're still scared of bugs, like yeah, yeah, because I'm a reasonable person. Bugs are gross. Fear is yeah not explicable. Like honestly, as soon as you can justify it and rationalize it and explain it. You're not afraid. Can I tell you, I used to be very, very much afraid of the dark, which sounds very basic, but just like, I would just get the eebie-jeebies of like, Mm -hmm. is somebody behind that or whatever. Honestly, once we moved in together, and I don't know if it was the fact that we lived together or just our apartment that we lived in didn't kind of lend itself to like creepy corners, I was okay. And And because I'm so big and strong and protective. Oh, so big and strong and protective. That's legit. I get Your defo always asleep an hour and a half before <laughs> I am at best. Um, we watched the Babadook 
two, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Ever since again. again. Yes, I, I'm sorry. It wasn't I, the first I, time I will I watched say it. That I've watched that yeah a handful of times. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. It's so good, and genuinely, like right after we watched it, I like we I go up the stairs. I usually just have my phone flashlight, so I don't have to like light up in front of you. And I was halfway up the stairs, and I felt the panic that mm-hmm. I used to have as a kid of like, oh, he's behind me. Mm-hmm. It, it's wild, the shit that still affects you. And mm-hmm. apparently the Babadook fucking does it for me. It's it's a terror. Oh, it's was, so good. I was very, very afraid of mirrors for a while. Would you say you still are? No, no, no. No? I But just as an 11, 12-year-old child... Yeah, my I shit was afraid to look in the mirrors because I thought Bob was going to look back at me. It's so scary. And I can't imagine if I'd say yeah. this would have ruined me if I saw yeah, it that I, young. It, it was so, it's so like, bad. We saw <laughs> we watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit when I was a kid, and the end when Christopher Lloyd gets run over by the steamroller. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically running out of the room and hiding under a table <laughs> because it scared the I, fuck out of me. Somewhere. At my mom's house, I have a photo. Like at MGM Studios back in the day, mm-hmm. that was one of the things you could pose with. Was you could crawl under this? It, it, they had the indent, and I've got a picture of me under that same steamroller. How could you? It, uh, I How find could it. you? No, that is not allowed in our home. <laughs> our dog can't see it. It'll ruin her. I, mean, I was probably. 14 or whatever but do you know that that, kevin and i got picked on like a studio tour and then we got to recreate um the honey i shrunk the kids thing on the b oh yeah i got to do that did you yeah um yeah that happened i I got to do et too fuck et how dare you i'm afraid of et because i'm reasonable he doesn't have legs let's get back to we're getting into like the really really heavy shit so let's get back into the show that we're talking about so Leland smiles at himself in the mirror. Bob smiles back. Chewing gum, all creepy style. Oh, is Bob chewing gum? I didn't notice that. Tell me like he'll come back in style. Still don't understand what that means. Leland puts on a pair of latex gloves in arguably the creepiest Not way any person could do anything. Creepy. The creepiest part to me of that sequence is that he opens his jacket pocket and the gloves are in his jacket pocket. It's like chest pocket. But... In that way where they're like half in the pocket and half draped over the front. So the fingers are like dangling in front of the pocket in this way where it's like folded over the top. And I don't know why that's creepy, but it's creepy because he's not hiding it because it's so precise. There's something about the fact that like I put these here. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not hiding them. They're here practically. I also don't want to ruin them. Because yeah. I'm more concerned about these gloves than the human I'm about to destroy. Well, and I think there's also something deeply terrifying about Leland Palmer, who we've known and loved for, what, a year and a half or whatever, as long as we've watched this show. And yeah, he's done some, like, weird shit, but it's always been inappropriately upbeat. Except for like when he dives on his daughter's grave, which is like we've seen him. We, we've seen him be bigger his way than of, his grief is going way over the top. Yeah, he's. Yeah. We've seen him as bigger than yeah. bigger than life. We've never seen him be like evil. Mm-hmm. And he and I think this is a testament to Ray Wise's tremendous, acting, tremendous which is work. like we don't deserve Ray Wise mm-hmm. in our life. His 
he does the dead eyes so mm. good, which I find deeply terrifying. Um, but then, but then there's like that smile that like I'm excited oh, for this. It's it genuinely. I want this. It reminds me of. Um, did you ever read A Wrinkle in Time as a kid? You didn't read as a kid. Yeah, I did. Did you? But I don't remember. I, uh, books didn't, never stuck with me. Um, I've probably read A Wrinkle in Time 15 times. Mm-hmm. It was just a thing. I really valued rereading things as a kid. I think it was just a source I of do, comfort. Honestly, I do remember something. I remember very, very little about the book as a whole. I remember being terrified of somebody trapped in a wall or some shit. Mm-hmm. Is that um, kind of. That, it's uh, the dad like, is blind and he thinks he's trapped in a wall and he can't see his way out. Like, okay. yeah, it's it's yes, you're okay. remembering and, it fairly. And correctly. I remember that being a thing that creeped me out. Yeah, th- that's a thing. Is God, I read it as a kid. And I was such a scaredy cat, and I loved that book. But what this this moment with Leland Palmer reminded me of is um, there's a when they get in this planet. I'm not going to go into too deep. The villain, he's the man with red eyes, they describe him. And there's a sentence that says, he smiled, and it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Mm. And, like, that was a sentence that Mm -hmm. just sat with me. And Leland, in these sequences, he smiles with his chin. With his chin? Like, chin out? Like, it leads with his chin? Yeah, his, his forehead tips back, his chin gets pushed forward, and he's got a grin on his face... But dead eyes. Seriously, a grin with the dead eyes is it's, so fucking scary. And I don't scary. know how to do it. At, like, as no, an actor. No, because you have a soul. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It, <laughs> presumably so does Ray Wise. But still, yeah, I, it's it's fantastic. It's the delivery and that whole, that reveal is just terrifying and delightful and awful and wonderful and everything. Uh, so he puts on his latex gloves, does this horrible smile. Maddie uh, shouts that something smells like it's burning. And I wanted to ask you about this. Every instance there's of Bob and shit happening is smells like the burning. smell of burnt motor oil. Oh, okay. Because uh, I Jacoby thought... Jacoby talks about that when Leland kills Jacques Renault. Mm-hmm. I smelled engine oil. Engine oil. Fried engine oil, yeah. Because when I read it, I... When I read it, when I when I watched it earlier, I thought maybe, like, the gas was on, and mm-hmm. that's why Sarah Palmer was... Because we don't drugged. really see... How... Sarah was drugged. Oh, okay. I don't know how much they get into... The, I don't recall how much they get into the show. They get because into that in Firewalk with she doesn't physically battered. Yeah, but she's, she's clearly not she's okay. She's been drugged. Okay. And, and that's what I assumed it was like a carbon monoxide yeah. leak or something. But that's not right. Okay. So she hears burning. She enters the room, sees Sarah on the floor, and flees at the sight of Leland. So this, okay, this is, a, this is one of the most interesting anecdotes I've ever heard about, read about, whatever, in the show, in the show's production. Very few people knew who killed who killed Laura Palmer and they didn't reveal it to uh, any most people in the cast crew whatever and in order to keep it a secret and so that somebody couldn't leak it they shot they spent all day shooting this sequence of Madeline getting killed mm. and they shot it with a long take over and over and over again with 
Ray Wise. With Frank Silva and Madeline. Or, Frank and Silva Shirley, plays Bob. Bob. Then they shot it with Ray Wise and Cheryl Lee. And they spent an entire sequence shooting it with Richard Beamer. What? Yeah. Why? To, if, if this got out, because they spend the entire episode setting up. Oh, you mean, I'm sorry, you mean Richard Beamer was attacking uh, Cheryl and Fred. Yeah. Sh- I'm Shirley. sorry, I thought you, uh, Shirley. I'm sorry, I thought you meant that Bob was attacking Richard Beamer. No, they, yeah, they shot oh, it. That's they so shot good. it with him so that if somebody got out that, oh, well, we saw Leland killing her, oh, that's this reveal. They also had, well, we got this too. So somewhere in existence, and I've never seen it. I don't know if anyone has. It might not exist. In the 90s, they didn't necessarily save shit. There's, but yeah, presumably somewhere though. Sure. On film, there's footage of Richard Beamer doing that entire sequence as well. Wow. And poor Cheryl Lee. Had to do it three times. Did it three times all fucking day. Just... She like they kept checking in with her and she was like, No, keep going, keep going, but was visibly like Not just to fuck destroyed. Your shit up. And like Like even best case scenario, you're just emotionally exhausted. That's from exactly screaming. it. And she's just like oh getting to that place and doing it for like an eighteen hour day over and, over and imagine. over and over again. She's a fucking pro, man. Yeah. And it's it's and ostensibly she hasn't been like burdened by it she seems to, it's not like a thing that stuck with her so we I'm, it's yeah. not it's not like how um what's her face in the exorcist like she fucked up her back by all, oh, the, all oh, the takes oh, yeah. and things like that she bounced back mm-hmm. it's just one of those she's pro and it's because david lynch is gonna let actors get to that place on their own he doesn't have to do like Bertolucci style of like manipulating people. Honestly, into... I want to have a whole podcast about us talking about directors' relation to actors because I just we have talked about that, and I think we've both evolved really far in the last ten years that we've been together. That I I would love to talk about. I just remember reading an article about how um, uh, fuck, what's her name, Wendy in um, The Shining. Mm-hmm. What's the actress? Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. How Kubrick 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 assaulted her basically. Yeah. yeah. And I remember the first time I told you about that, we'd you were probably like thirty or thirty-one and you were like, Well, you know, it's part of what directors do. They're like a coach. They get they want to get the best out of their people. And I think that was a really surface level analysis that you had. I also probably didn't know the details. Of, of course, it, of yeah. course. But like you had a very like broad idea of like what a director's job is to get the prones out of their person it doesn't mm-hmm. and I think we have both become more empathetic people and things like that and now like Shelley Duvall's life is fucked up and largely yeah. because of that same and, like Linda Blair and has also, had I back think, problems and more information life. has come out about what happened yeah. and what the things he did like there's 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 a fine line because there's things that like I've heard stories and I can't can't put my finger on them now but i know there's things where like they want to create some division in the cast so like oh same s- Ryan, they did that. certain characters get like better craft services 
and certain actors well, they did don't. A, and things like that. Of like all the soldiers had to go through boot camp, but Matt Damon didn't have to go. through Yeah, that like boot things camp. like that. Like, and so there was that's division. an acceptable thing that creates oh, of some certain level of resentment. You're not torturing a human, but you're woman. not fuck. Yeah, you're not torturing. Like, there's, like, there's people who fucking basically you're watching real life rape you're watching torture on, porn yeah on, on, well, on watching on ter- Paris exactly. I think that's, that's which you, I've never you're seen you're witnessing a rape yeah that's not a real life rape orchestrated by somebody else and that's fucked up yeah that is not and cool. it's and I think that's why I am so um, I'm so reticent to trust like auteur directors because they think their art is more mm-hmm. important than anything else, including the uh, physical and emotional well-being of your actors. Mm-hmm. And that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that's so self-important because guess who like tends to take the brunt of that? It's women. Mm-hmm. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. Right. Anyway, oh, my God. So that anecdote When is... we thought this was going to take us two hours, we did not think it would be leading up to this for two hours. I thought we would... Right. I thought... What? Well, we thought that this episode would take two hours, yeah. but I thought like once we got to the murder, it would take two hours. But we're at the two hour mark, like right okay. now. Yeah. Anyway, so point being, that's my like that's the great anecdote for that scene is that they shot it three times, which I think is a clever approach. What I a think fucking it's chant though. Shirley. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But also, um, like they they continually gave her an out, mm-hmm. like, Let are you it. okay? And and it wasn't like I'm making you do this shit. Mm-hmm. And that's, but God, the this shit aired on ABC. It's so desperately scary and like horrible. It's the scary stuff is Bob, and that's this. But that's in this weird spotlight that looks different. It's whenever it cuts out of the spotlight stuff. And goes to Leela, and you see him full finch, fl- uh, fists clenched, punch and just her, punching her square in the face. There's something. It's fucked up. Yeah. The- and then when Bob is like sucking up on her chin. Oh, I screamed when we just awful. watched that. The it's, way it's all so fucked. The so I'm. It, it's funny because right now I'm in the midst of a. Um, of a book about the BTK killer, about Dennis Rader. Um, and so I couldn't help but see the parallels of this sort of, how I would describe it, and it might not be a great description, of confusion with animacy and violence. Mm-hmm. Of he was, Bob was attacking this woman, but in a way did what he thought was like, physically like sexually intimate thing to her it's the way he like sucked on her chin it and they so talk much. about that a lot in the secret diary if you read that okay. and things like that it's a lot about it's i want to absorb you bob bob wants to absorb laura hmm. he wants you know it's maddie yeah but and Grant, this this seems like an extent because you every time they cut back to Leland, he's like Laura, Laura. He it and you and it's fucked because you see like regret in Leland, but at the same time, like how am I supposed to feel about that? I, exactly, 
That's the th- like. And we reconcile that Leland's. Maybe. I mean, the next couple episodes, I think, I think we. I think they try to. Okay. But I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while. I, my memory is that he reconciles what he did with. I think Leland maybe does. Uh huh. But I don't know that 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 stands for everyone else. Who is everybody else? Like us as viewers and oh oh people, I see the I people see. Who, other people who were involved in Laura's life. Gotcha. I don't like. I think it's a little bit like we were talking about with Ben Horn. We're like, but I loved her. It's okay. Mm-hmm. No, fuck you. It's not. No, it's it's you, worse. You, yeah, it's, exactly. And I think there's there's it's never been answered. I think there's very much an ongoing debate about is Leland to blame for the death of Laura Palmer. I mean, it's God. I mean, it's the fact that there's no answer, right? Like we don't know. Maybe Lynch knows. Maybe he doesn't. Because because of the fact that too, they talk about like with with Mike's monologue in the previous episode. It isn't. I'm not possessed. This is my vessel. I'm not controlling him. We're partnered. I've become accustomed to this vessel. Like there's he. Leland knew what was up. Leland knew, and they. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, in more detail with Fire Walk with Me. Fire Walk with Me is an entire exploration of this. Yes. Uh, Can can we reconcile what Leland did? Mm -hmm. And I I don't think it ever gets thoroughly answered. But yeah, it. I don't know. I I mean I I think. For network television purposes, they let Leland off the hook a little bit coming up in future sure. couple episodes. But in reality, absolutely not. Well, and one of the things, so the next line is he picks her up and spins her around while continually changing God, form. And limp fucking legs. Oh, it's so bad. <sighs> Kissing her and sobbing Lara's name. And so this, we both uh, recently watched the I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Mm-hmm series on HBO. I've read the book. I've been following the the mm-hmm. Golden State Killer story for a long time. And that's what it hearkened to me because a lot of the women... So the short thing about the Golden State Killer, if you haven't heard about him, is he has raped literally dozens of, people, of women throughout California and then moved on to murdering. He was... Uh, he's a fucking monster. I cannot mm-hmm. recommend I'll Be Gone in the Dark either the series or the book more highly. Both. Um, but one of the things... Uh, so, uh, just D'Angelo, who we only found out was Golden Scaler like two years ago, mm-hmm. um, he had an ex-fiance whose name was Bonnie, and a lot of women who were raped by this guy who survived said they heard him sobbing Bonnie's name. And also, a lot of them couldn't tell if it was Bonnie or Mommy, Mm -hmm. which is horrible any way you fucking slice it. It could be both. Yeah. But that's when he was sobbing Laura's name, that was immediately what I thought Mm -hmm. of, of like, this isn't about you. This is about somebody else. Mm -hmm. You are the vessel for my neuroses. Mm -hmm. And that's a thousand percent what it made me think of, of like... This isn't about Maddie. This was never about Laura. This mm-hmm. is about 
the and, demons, whether real or fictitious, uh-huh. of of and the point of, of that being Leland Palmer is Joseph D'Angelo responsible? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Is Leland Palmer responsible? Absolutely. <sighs> that's the point, and that's the point. I guess I maybe it's just my affection for Ray Wise. I just want to believe he was possessed. But that's also like. You know the Golden State Killer. You know Joseph D'Angelo as the Golden State Killer. Right. You know those stories. You know the victim stories. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. Like, his family had no fucking idea. No fucking idea. Oh, Mikey, that's such a good point. You know what I mean? So yeah. we're seeing this. BTK is the same fucking the way, way. The way their family saw this guy is what we're seeing in Ray Wise. He doesn't see... Oh, just a couple episodes they let him free on his own recognizance because he's always been a good he's guy a and he's struggling for, for with this grief his daughter we'll died. figure it out we'll put him on bail we'll figure this Jacques Renault stuff out later all of that stuff because he's a good guy and we know him to be a good guy mm-hmm. no he's fucking not and whether that's legitimate demonic possession or Whatever the fuck Bob really is, yeah. is and it's so funny because how much does he invite Bob in? How much is he in control of this? The body that beat, raped, molested, and attacked Laura repeatedly was Leland, was Leland fucking Palmer. It's, and I don't, I, I'm, sorry. I, I'm typically an incredibly empathetic person. Mm-hmm. No, Leland is. I even even that that scene coming up where he gets his little bit of redemption, mm-hmm. and and I don't. The thing is, I don't think he gets redeemed. It comes to the point of Laura potentially forgiving him, and we'll get into that in more detail then. But absolutely, Leland is one hundred percent at fault. I blame him and. Entirely. Michael, this is so wild because never in my life have I given the benefit of the doubt to a white guy in my entire life. But I <laughs> I think it's just my general affection for Ray Wise and how fucking affable he is that I deeply want to say he was possessed and had no 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 control over what he did who 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 drugs sarah palmer who turns on the fan so that nobody can hear the thing is i don't know i because we don't know where the the delineation between bob and and leland is do we you're shrugging which isn't great no i'm just saying that's that's exactly the question and I think that's what Fire Walk With Me dives into very deeply. Yeah. So we'll have that conversation after the dredges of season two. <laughs> um, Y'all are going to hear about some talent but, pageants. Yeah, but first we need to talk about Miss Twin Peaks and James and Evelyn and Little Nikki and the Civil oh, War. Oh, Little Nikki, fucking tell me now. <laughs> but, but yeah. I'm dead, I can't tell But that's, that's the idea is and it's it's one of the ongoing debates of Twin Peaks that I love so much is is Leland at fault 
Oh my God, there's nothing I love and hate more than this kind of like moral ambiguity mm-hmm. argument. Mm-hmm. Because, because I, I don't know if you know this about me, I really like being right. <laughs> why did you? Why did you? Because you didn't know that and that was a new thing for you to hear about me. What? Hmm? What's going on? Daddy. Um, and so it like I both love the sort of morally am- ambiguous tales and I'm also deeply frustrated by them because I want there to be a right and wrong and that's why I'm that's why I'm working in my shades of gray yeah. life but of- that's a, but and that's the that's where David Lynch lives mm-hmm. ambiguity I if you can get a definitive answer out of anything of his I think that's about the only thing he'll tell you you're wrong at. You know what I mean? That's the only, like, no, no, no. It's not about that. And that's why I love, like, I will read two incredibly conflicting theories about something about Twin Peaks and be like, that's fucking amazing. So is that. I believe them both. Well, you can't because they both are directly in opposition. But they're still both perfect and I love them both. And that's, that's, I love like where you're saying you're frustrated with it. That's what I love I about. I am both Twin frustrated Peaks. and love it. My like, love for Twin Peaks is the ambiguity. Yeah. I if I ever figure out Twin Peaks, which I'm going to be angry. Well, I would argue it's impossible because I don't think David exactly. Lynch understands Twin Peaks. Or oh, I think he does. You think? I absolutely. You don't think, think he, does. he operates in a in a sort of realm of ambiguity of. There's nobody who's right. There's nobody who's wrong. There's nobody who's good. There's nobody who's evil. That's his delivery, but he has but his you, you he has his that? own. I think he he intentionally delivers it in that way, but he has a he has a thought in his own mind. Absolutely, I am shocked by this revelation. And you know, you know Lynch far better than I do as a personal friend, but as a director, it seems to me that if you're going to be sort of ambiguous you have to come at it in an agnostic way of I'm putting these out here here's some possibilities it seems wild to me that that David Lynch has like this guy's a good guy this guy's a bad guy this guy did this oh I mean I think characters can be more like I think but I I think every he has an answer to every open question that he won't provide to us Right. But he hasn't. But he has. Any question you ask him, I don't think he'll be like, well, I don't know. It's meant to be what I don't. I think that's his answer to you. But deep down, he has an answer that satisfies him. Okay. What this is making me think of is, oof, this is about to get dumb and nerdy. um, But I've made you watch the, um, so you think you can dance. There is a... Listen, hear me out because it's going to work. where we're going. It's going to work for you. And we watched it together. Um, there is a... This is 20... Are you talking 14, about the light bulb thing? Yes! The light bulb <laughs> thing! have told this story so many times. Not to the audience. Not to on you this personally. audience. Yeah, I've never heard that. Continue. I don't know about this oh story. Oh, my God. Um, there is a, a dance that Melanie and somebody else does. doesn't matter. Melanie is my everything. And the guy who choreographs it, it's all about this light bulb. And the guy who choreographs it said, this light bulb represents hope and whatever, and this is what it means. And as soon as I watched it, and maybe it was just my mental state, 
it seemed very obvious, not very obvious, it, my interpretation was this light bulb is death and her person, and instead of the light bulb is happiness and her partner is keeping her away from and happiness. You you're you physically are reaching for this light bulb right now. The audience doesn't know that. Oh yeah, sorry. Choop, choop, choop. Um yeah, like the, the Melanie is constantly grabbing for this light bulb and her partner is pulling her back. Which the choreographer is like, the light bulb is happiness and she's reaching for happiness and her partner is afraid of happiness. And I watch it and immediately I was like, No, 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 the light bulb is death. And Melanie He's trying is trying to save her. Yeah, and Melanie is reaching towards death because it seems easy and he's pulling her away. And it is one of those things that I've never had that moment of the choreographer clearly meant something and I see that and I cannot see anything besides... But isn't that disappointing? I don't know When somebody puts a specific label on something and you're like, but that's not what I thought. I don't think I'm disappointed by it, no. Though. And I think that's what Lynch is afraid of is, I don't want to tell you what I think because I don't want to limit you to that. I want you to, if you take something entirely different from what I meant or what was going on in my mind, if you take in something entirely different, but it works for you... That's fine. Sure. That's a success. Sure. And I think that, like, if you're a capital A artist, that's part of what you have to do, sure. right? Like, you put you put out a vision, whether it's a painting or choreography or a movie, into the world, and you have to allow people to yeah. interpret it the way they want. But also, if you say, I meant this dance to be this, and you take it otherwise, does that mean you failed? Is it is it a fear of David Lynch from saying like this is what I was trying to say and if you don't read it I don't want to no I don't I've, want to say this meant this and if you see something else the difference is I think he, David Lynch isn't trying to give you a piece of art David Lynch is trying to bring you into his art he's not he's not giving you a deliverable he's bringing you in on the process. He wants you to live where he lives, which is in the art life. There's an entire documentary called The Art Life mm-hmm. about David Lynch and how he lives in this space. Mm-hmm. And his projects are all designed to bring you into the art life. Instead of giving you a deliverable that you can assess and break down and dissect and do whatever you want with, mm-hmm. I want you to come into the process. And I want you to see it from every angle like I do. And I think that's where he's at. But he has to have a point of view. And he does. When he makes it, he has a view. If he just if, doesn't if he's to... working on it and an, and an actor asks him, like, what's, how am I doing this? He'll, he'll get them to where he needs them to go mm. without even necessarily telling him that thing. You watch any of his behind-the-scenes directing stuff, and he speaks in very general think this think and think we, butterflies around your head and like we talked about chair. i can't remember why but in what context but we talked about like the light is coming or whatever he yeah. gives very it's i think what you're thinking of is his description of writing laura palmer's theme yes with ben yes 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 that's exactly you're yeah. correct that's exactly what i'm thinking of okay let's anyway i think i, I think that's the difference is 
I don't think David Lynch ever wants a completed project. I don't, I think he, I think that's what turned him on to television in the first place is that it was an ongoing medium. Interesting. I. Do you think David Lynch is like just 30 years ahead of his time? Because I don't I, know about I, ahead of his time. Well, I just, just think he's in so, his own place. So one of your favorite shows is The Leftovers, which yeah. is definitely a show that doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end. There's shit that happens, but ultimately it's a very wide open mm-hmm. interpretation. Sure, sure. And do you think if a if a whatever thirty something David Lynch, however he was when he made made Twin Peaks, if he had made Twin Peaks in 2015 instead of 1990, do you think he would have been more allowed more to do what he wanted to do instead of having ABC execs saying, well, you have to fucking solve this murder. It's who killed Laura Palmer. I'm not sure what you're asking because I feel like that exact scenario happened. So what I'm saying he is, got the Showtime show and did what exactly what he wanted to do. Yes, but it was also an, a continuation of a show he had already made, as sort opposed of. to if he kicked off Twin Peaks, who killed Laura Palmer, but kicked that off in 2017, yeah, and then told a story from the fucking beginning of saying, here's this weird town, this yeah. weird murder. There's some, there's some Shru- supernatural shit that's happening. Trouble with that is. I don't think TV would be where it is today without Twin Peaks existing. Oof. Prestige television? Yeah, maybe someone else would have come up with it. Maybe some of, you know, Sopranos or whatever would have kind of... But I don't think Sopranos exists without Twin Peaks. I, I, I think he broke down a wall. And Mark Frost did too. And everybody else involved. Yeah, and but you're I, not the first person to, yeah. to say this. It, he, Twin Peaks broke down a wall that allowed for experimenting within the television medium. Hmm. And do you think it is a show that showed networks that audiences could be a little more sophisticated than... Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean... Yeah, and then and then the birth of cable television and sure. you know having HBO be a primary provider of TV of like open. Do you know what HBO's doors. first show was? I'm curious. First show? Uh, no, but I like I just looked at a list recently that was like every HBO show ranked. Yeah, and it was wrong (laughs) like like it had it had the wire at like number five which the wire if it's not number one it's number two i I haven't watched the wire um i don't recall but like it goes back to like larry sanders Mm -hmm. and stuff like that like ray bradbury theater 1985. Yeah, but I feel Tales like... from the Crypt was 89. Okay. I remember Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That fucked my shit but up. But even that isn't like a... Oh, Fraggle Rock was an HBO. Continual show. 
You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, Fraggle Rock looks like oh, it was the first family show. Okay. HBO storybook musicals. First in ten, I've never heard of, but that no. was their first comedy. Yeah, interesting. It's just one of those. But yeah, I, I, I think the like, thought about prestige comedies is always or prestige shows rather is always interesting. Of when did we make this transition from shows where serialized and standalone episodes and well, you can watch them in any order what it did time is, was have you heard about that no heard what it that? what it did though is allowed filmmakers and people with hopes of being filmmakers do a test run good good quality tv mm-hmm. that isn't you know three camera sure sitcoms and shit like that and they could do it they could make mini films mm-hmm. episode by episode for Showtime or for HBO or for whatever. You know? Yeah. I don't know. All right. Back to Twin Peaks. Um, Leland suddenly smashes, smashes Maddie's head against a picture frame. You're All the while. Back. You're going back to Missoula, I... Montana. Leland says, you're going back to Missoula, Montana. Yeah, that is when Mikey and I first started dating. I had just moved I back from Missoula, Montana. Had never heard of Missoula, Montana. Didn't oh. know anything about where Montana. Lunch is from. Had never heard of Missoula for sure. The honestly, don't think I had ever heard of Missoula between when I was eleven and watched this show, and when we started dating. We started dating, and you told me you lived in a town right outside Missoula. Which should be nervous. Honestly, it was like PTSD style, like <laughs> trigger. You did not care about it. Like had, it wasn't a bit. I forgot about Missoula and it it brought me right back. And it was yeah, I mean, unsettling. In, not in my defense, but whatever. I lived in a town called Darby, which was about 90 miles outside Missoula. But Missoula was like our closest airport mm-hmm. and our closest big town. So that was if listen, Montana's a big ass state, and if somebody doesn't know where mm-hmm. Darby is, which is ninety nine percent Bozeman or what you know. right. I lived literally directly between Missoula and Salmon, Idaho. Like okay. it's yeah. just which Salmon, Idaho is not exactly. Anyway, the point is like I have never said Missoula to somebody and them like panic. Yeah, <laughs> and and it because it was it was it was like bringing up a name of an abuser or something mm-hmm. like that that you forgot that name you haven't heard it in years you, know you brought a- up a name that tri- because because I had never heard Missoula since when then when are you gonna right I had never heard it for 20 something years and then you brought it up and it was whoa mm-hmm. I don't like that and it's funny because one of our first dates, we watched the pilot of um, of Twin Peaks, and it was within a month of one of my buddies dying, who I knew from like outside Missoula. Mm-hmm. And we were watching, and we were like, isn't this good? And I was like sobbing, and I was like, no, I hate this. Like, everybody's best friend died, and I'm, it's too close to home for me. Um, but yeah, no, Missoula, Montana has just become this sort of like weird touch mm-hmm. point. And I mean, I'm older and it's easier and we kind of joke about it now, but like 
the fact that it was so long without hearing it and then it came up, it was a fucking trigger. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, all right. So, um, oh, also Leland pushes a letter under her fingernail, which I couldn't watch. I did not realize. The letter O. By I the did not realize I had such a thing about fingernails. I thought I was just a regular human. And Mikey was like, you hate fingernail shit. And it's true. Um, back to the roadhouse. Cooper and the giant stare at each other. The giant disappears. The band reappears. The senile room serviceman. Senior jewel cup. Senior jewel cup. Walks over to Cooper. Oh. What does he say to Cooper? He just looks at him and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, I'm sorry. Oof. I'm sorry. And leaves. And then does the same thing to Bobby. And if that guy really exists, do you think he does? Why it? does that happen? Who is he? And why is he only there when the giant's around? And then this scene is, and it's a, it's a reflection from the pilot, which is such a heartbreaking scene of Donna, a, yeah. Bobby, and kind of, to a lesser extent, Cooper. They know. And an even lesser extent, James. James like, doesn't know what Like, the, the fact is. that Donna starts weeping, Bobby seems affected, and James is kind of like, what? I don't, what's going on? This is my imitation of James. Yeah. Huh? But he, he knew in the pilot. I mean, he definitely comforted Donna. So, But he comforted whatever. Donna, which is great. But he also didn't seem to know what was happening. Yes. Um, but man, that... For some reason, it was the Bobby shot that really fucking hit me in the gut. And I think that's... Like, that's what Lynch is really, really, really good at. Is picking up on those things on the day of like... This is going to get it done. Bobby... I like, he's watching this, and I, I like that look. Mm-hmm. I want to put that in there. You go sit at the bar. Mm-hmm. Just go sit at the bar, and we'll figure this out. I want to get you in because I think it works. It adds to this scene. Yeah. So it doesn't matter why he's there or any of that. It doesn't necessarily it doesn't make a matter. ton of sense. But you're giving me the – you're emoting in the way that I want you to. Mm-hmm. Put it in. Yeah. So the fact that it wasn't scripted, and he just brought him in to do that scene because he happened to be there – had the right look on it makes face. yeah exactly yeah. it works and that's the end of that and again episode. ends oop, with oop. this is one of the few episodes it seems like every episode ends with that picture of the homecoming photo of laura palmer on the credits another david lynch episode that doesn't he seems to be the only what one is, who what's the different frame? It, it cuts back to the same still frame of cooper's face oh yeah with the spotlight mm-hmm. but yeah uh, yeah, it's a truly <clears throat> like I am never going to be the diehard fan that you are of Twin Peaks, but good God, this episode is. And the beautiful thing so of good. it is that these episodes, these really, really, really good episodes, justify the really bad ones to me. They're they're this episode is that good that the amount the amount of good that this. To level it out takes two or three bad episodes. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I'm willing to forgive the six or eight well, episodes like that's said, not great. Episodes like this altered television. So, yeah. like, I will take a shitty James C plot. Exactly. Exactly. If I get and, this. And the fact that, like, what, what helps Twin Peaks for me is that, yes, this is a peak episode. This is one of the best. 
there's several great episodes leading up to this. Season one is tremendous. You're about to get into some of the, the struggling episodes, but it also ends on episodes that are just as good. The last couple episodes so are also good. very, very, very good. I remember and it, because of the fact that it didn't do what a lot of shows do, which is slowly dwindle out. I'm looking at you, Lost. Yeah. But like a lot of shows that like, or hit, hit a point where like, it's so fucking bad that this is unwatchable. Mm-hmm. This always has something in it that is worthwhile. Every yep. single episode has at least one moment in it That's that is fun. worthwhile. And then it ends on a on a fantastic episode. Right. So that helps. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um, that was two and a half hours of us talking about a 45-minute show, I think, <laughs> just as Lynch intended. Uh, thank you. And I could go on. Yeah, this is... <laughs> I was going to say, we're going to keep talking after this. We're going to go to bed after this. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks for sticking around for, God, two and a half hours. It's so much... Hours. You might cut some stuff out, but then add some. Yeah, but I'm also gonna add clips in, so we're gonna sit pretty at at two hours and thirty minutes. All right, King. So good. Thank you for thank you for being a friend. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper at Twin Peaks Podcast for Regular People, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.